0: Hi everybody, Alistair here. Before we get into this delayed episode of Dusted, a word of warning. I'm afraid that some technical troubles during our recording compromised the audio quality of this podcast. I have tried to salvage it as best I can. It should be listenable It may not be completely enjoyable all the way through. I apologize for the problems with the audio. I apologize for the delay in production. These things happen. We do pride ourselves on our audio quality here at Storywonk, but unfortunately, sometimes things go awry. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you enjoy our discussion of reprise and epiphany. We will be back next week with all the problems ironed out to discuss the body and forever. I hope you'll join us then. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm Lonnie
0: Diane Rich. I'm Alistair Stevens. And this is Dusted. Your This Episode is So Good, I Think We Should All Give Lindsay a Hand. for the Vampire Slayer Podcast.
1: <laughs> this week we are watching episodes 15 and 16 of season 2 of Angel, Reprise, and Epiphany.
0: Reprise aired on February the 20th, 2001, and was written by Tim Miner, who also wrote the follow-up episode, Epiphany, that aired a week later, the last time we saw Menear's work. Was in reunion back in the 11th episode of the second season, which is also his highest showing on the big list so far, holding steady there at number six.
2: Yeah, that's pretty
1: respectable. Not too bad. Absolutely. Reprise is directed by James Whitmore Jr. This is his only episode of Angel, but he directed a couple episodes of Buffy between season two and season three. And if you've watched television at all, you've seen his work. He is the very definition of a journeyman director. Yes, He's just been he on every television show that has. Is- ever aired in the last like 30 years.
0: One of our stable of journeyman directors here on Buffy and Angel.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Epiphany is directed by Thomas J. Wright. This is the last of two episodes Wright will direct for Angel. The other was Blind Date which stands at number five in the big list. I actually
0: went back and watched a bit of Blind Date because I wanted to remember Lindsay's account of his childhood. Yeah. Since we get another version of that story here I went back to Blind Date and watched it and you can absolutely see the connection between the visual style of Blind Bake and the visual style of Epiphany. Uh-huh. It's a visual style that is a little more cinematic, a little more crisp, certainly more ambitious, and it's a visual style that I think James Whitmore Jr. struggles to achieve. Uh-huh. I think that Reprise is, in almost every way, a much weaker episode than Epiphany, but what's good about Epiphany comes out of Reprise. Yeah. As is so often the case.
1: It's so strange. We had originally planned on having these separate and yes. doing them one week after the other. And then when I watched them I was like, Well, we only get half the story because what we've done is we've taken two stories that would have made two separate episodes perfectly fine, even with the link between like mm-hmm. the the fake out at the end of, of prize
0: Yes. Which Surprise we'll and innocent cliffhanger yeah.
1: <laughs> And it could have been two separate episodes, but instead they took like those two episodes, just kind of sprinkled them over yeah. two rather than making it feel like it, it was one story. That, that earned both episodes.
0: Does that make sense? Yes, it's an 80-20 yeah. split. I mean, yeah. it's 80% of the Angel mm-hmm. Despair storyline yeah. in Reprise, and then it's 80% of the much more lighthearted yes. Investigator storyline in Epiphany. Mm-hmm. I think that that crossover does neither story any favors. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think they're weakened by being contrasted so forcibly. Yeah. This would have worked much more effectively, much more powerfully, and in a much more consistent fashion. Yeah if they had been two episodes. But this was never going to be exactly the storyline that the producers and writers at Angel wanted Mm -hmm. to tell. This was a compromise. This was the last-minute bailout on the Darla storyline. The Darla story was supposed to run all the way to the end of the season, and we'll never really know how it was supposed to end, but it wasn't working and viewers weren't engaged by the Darla storyline. We've had some trouble being engaged by the Darla storyline. And honestly, I think we like Darla and her story more than most people do. Yeah, But it's not working and it's taking... A hell of a long time to not work. So this was the band-aid that was slapped on the season. We're going to close out the Darla storyline here. We're going to have a couple of episodes where we have a lighter tone and we, we pay attention to a couple of outstanding plot threads, but nothing too major. And then we're going to launch into an entirely new arc for the end of the season. And it's that arc that I think is generally credited with saving Angel. I think that had the Darla storyline continued, had they continued to hemorrhage viewers, had they continued to, to hemorrhage momentum and even a sense of the show's fundamental identity, then it's not at all clear that Angel would have been picked up for a third, fourth, fifth season. Yeah. I think this is not a great story in its movement, in its execution, but what it does is really important. And I think that we, we end up in a really good place. I am really not a fan of the first part of this story.
1: No, I love
0: it. I know, which I find <laughs> really weird. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get into that. I think I am an outlier. I do think that Reprise and Epiphany are generally fairly well considered. Mm-hmm. I really don't like where we start. I really don't like some of the the tonal inconsistency throughout this pair mm-hmm. of episodes. Though in fairness that resolves really quickly. I just don't like the very beginning.
1: Yeah, see, I really like the very beginning. And then I feel like we kind of toddle off a little bit, uh, especially toward the end, the the big fake-out at the end of Reprise. Oh, the the
2: fake-out, it's... Not my favorite thing,
1: yeah. So, uh, But I actually really love the opening. And speaking of the opening, let's go ahead and hop into our beat-by-beat. We open in the hallway of an abandoned building, floors covered with trash, walls covered in graffiti, and the air filled with an overall sense of despair. There's a weird repetitive call. Not human, maybe a bird or a really weird ringtone. As we move down the hallway, we see angels step out from the darkness, looking wary. He opens a door, walks into a room, and turns on a light. And the room is filled with goats. So, yes, the room is is filled with goats. The eerie sound was the Mm -hmm. bleeding of goats. This is a moment that you are not a huge fan of.
0: No, I hate this moment. I hate this stupid, (laughs) ridiculous condescending moment. Uh I hate this moment. Because we have so much potential just in the opening couple of shots. There really is an oppressive sense of despair. There really is a sense of something dangerous in the air. And we undercut it so violently, not just with this ridiculous scene of Angel turning on the light to find himself, much to his alarm, in a room full of goats.
1: Well, because he is in the center of the room, so at that yes. point, like he knows what he's And We also get
0: this point. ridiculous yeah. shot. James Whitmore apparently had some kind of, of orb of prophecy that allowed him to look just a few years ahead to the arrival of the office mm-hmm. and the arrival of Parks and Rec, where everyone but everyone would do those Jim Halpert, Ben Wyatt looks to camera. <laughs> huh? See how ridiculous this is? The fact that Angel basically gives us one of those looks just looks right down the camera Mm -hmm. with a shrug. No, I hate the opening of this episode. And we go from there into the confrontation with the cultists, I guess, with Mm -hmm. the the hired hands, one of whom is David Fury, Mm -hmm. which isn't going to matter to 99% of the audience of Angel, but it matters to me because I can't pay attention to this story because that's David Fury. (laughs) And why is it David Fury? Mm -hmm. Why are we bringing in a weird and prominent cameo into a scene that really needs to build tension. Why yeah, are we undercutting sure ourselves
1: prominent here? It is the entire a, episode. Know it's the entire
0: episode depends upon our sense of, of fear and brooding malevolence. Our understanding that the 75-year review is coming up, that this is something that we haven't dealt with before, that this is something that is incredibly dangerous, that, that dark things are stirring in the streets of Los Angeles. And this episode just can't help itself. Mm -hmm. It just can't stop. And this I think is the weakness, the most common, most prominent weakness in Tim writing. I think Tim is actually an excellent writer, but when his writing is bad, it's bad in exactly this way. It's bad in exactly this overwritten, no idea is too stupid to include way. And there's so much potential here. There is the potential for a really solid foundation for this entire two episode arc. And we squander it. So, my frustration with this cold open, it does, I think, to a certain extent, contaminate my enjoyment of the first third of this episode. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it makes me so immediately frustrated that I really can't enjoy what's going on.
1: Oh, it's a shame. I love this cold open. I think this cold open is awesome. I think the writing is tight, it's three minutes dead. We have a great inciting incident. Well, it would be a great inciting incident if there really was anything. Narratively to the 75 year, we kind of drop that without well, that's really a problem later that, on. It's
0: not so much I get we,
1: frustrated later on, yeah. It's
0: not so much that we, we drop that as we pivot away, we from, pivot it. away from it, which is so, yes, it's a choice, it's not the strongest mm-hmm. narrative choice that you can make, but I don't think it's, it's that bad. But this, I don't know, this clash of weird overwritten comedy, mm-hmm. this weird take on Angel, we're going to see funny, goofy, likable, socially awkward angel Mm -hmm. in Epiphany. But he's not there yet. Why is he quipping with these guys? Why is he old angel again at the beginning of the episode that is going to lead to his darkest moment? There's no consistency here at all, and I mean at all, in the way that it's shot, in the way that it's lit, in the way that it's performed, in the way that it's written. There's just nothing. I I really thoroughly hate this cold open.
1: You know, I'm disappointed. I really like it. I think that it's very
0: tight.
1: I like that that he steps in. I like the contrast of the dark despair and then we move into this thing with goats and everything just seems weird. I like the way he goes into this space with these guys. And then he, you know, he does overreact. He does go dark toward the end. Angel steps into the other room, finds these two guys, following a set of directions on how to conduct a sacrifice on a bleeding goat. But they can't find the ceremonial dagger, and that's because Angel has it. He shoves it into the wall, and in a reveal that shouldn't surprise anyone at this point, we find out that the building is owned by Wolfram and Hart, and that these two idiots are toast. Yeah, Angel- but
0: luckily they can retire from serving Wolfram and Hart to go off and do their vaudeville act on the road. <laughs> they're, they're a half step away from who's on first here.
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't think it's quite that bad. Angel wants to know what they're worshipping when the guys don't tell him. He vamps out and slams them both against the wall. They confess all, telling him that if they don't do the sacrifice by midnight, something very mean is going to get super pissed off. Angel sends them away and begins the very rewarding work of destroying everything, making the ritual impossible. I think this is a very strong cold open. I don't think that Angel is excessively quippy. I think that he is still dark. He slams, he vamps out, he slams these guys up against <sighs> (sighs) the wall. He's He's still obsessive with about Wofferman Hart, and then he completely destroys everything.
0: That's not the angel that we've seen over the course of the last few episodes, and regardless of that, it's not the angel that we need to see in this episode. This entire episode is about his final descent into ultimate despair. We are never going to get this close to the bottom of the barrel again Mm -hmm. with Angel. And we start off with goofiness, which isn't a problem as long as it's framed properly. We're going to move into a very goofy scene after the credits with the mm-hmm. investigators And yes, my dislike of this cold open contaminates my enjoyment of that scene too. Yeah. But if that was the cold open, it would be fine because we can go to the investigators for goofy comedy. Mm-hmm. That's really been their function over the course of the last few episodes. That and emotional pathos, I guess. But Angel isn't in this space. So for me, it really doesn't work on any level, and I'm frustrated while I'm watching it. Oh, but I can yeah. see that, you know, the, the contrast and the juxtaposition works for you.
1: Yeah, I like it. I think it's actually very strong. I think it's a strong movement into this this um, episode, into this space. I feel like there's confidence in the writing that I
0: don't oh, think we've seen. I categorically disagree. Mm-hmm. When Tim Manier is feeling confident, his writing is clean and it is spare contrast the writing in this cold open with for example the scene between angel and lauren mm-hmm. later in caritas that is written beautifully the scenes with Lindsay and darla later in this episode but mm-hmm. well, this is the thing about this episode the shit immediately is written. yeah i think everything works pretty well from here on out i don't see any confidence at all in this cold open
1: I do. I like it. <laughs> um, at Investigators Inc. And we come back from the credits to find Gunn inspecting a little girl for a demonic third eye in the back of her head. So it's just another Tuesday for him. The girl's head is clear of everything that should not be there, and another happy customer is out the door without paying. The husband thinks it's a scam, and Cordy tries to argue, but Wesley is sanguine from his wheelchair. Some people will just never understand the real dangers of the skilosh demons.
0: And this in its way, for me, is a much more effective introduction to the kind of conversation that we're going to be having throughout the episode. This final and irrevocable tension between the supernatural world and the mundane world. Mm-hmm. Well this is impossible, therefore it couldn't have happened, therefore we're not paying for it, is actually a really deft piece of, of rationalization. Yes. I don't like this as an introduction to the or uh, uh, renewal of the Skilosh demon plot. Mm-hmm because we're going to invoke the skylos demons later they're going to be essential in epiphany and this is a weak place to start that story.
1: Yeah, this feels like it belongs like this is where I would split. This doesn't belong in this episode. this belongs in the next episode. See,
0: I would argue that this scene specifically, if you disassociate this scene from the Skilos demon storyline that we're going to deal with for the rest mm-hmm. of the, the the rest of the story, this scene absolutely belongs in reprise because this is about that conflict between the normal and the supernatural. Mm-hmm. And I like it very much. I don't like it as a part of that ongoing Scilochemans. Yeah,
2: and the of human being thing that we started yes. a
0: couple of weeks ago, we've been kind of trailing
1: you this. You should split the story
0: him. in a much more purposeful way. Mm-hmm. Reprise really should be about Angel's descent into darkness with the twist at the end that this has actually restored him. I think probably the conversation with Darla after the surprise and fake out that we get, that should be the final scene in prize, Mm -hmm. and then Epiphany should be the Skelos demon story. It should Mm -hmm. be Angel trying to forge new connections with his team. It should be about him putting his Epiphany Mm -hmm. to use. Instead, we kind of have both sides of the story bleeding out. Yeah. And that I think lessens the impact of both.
1: I think it absolutely does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I really would want that full impact of his um, of his realization of his understanding in this episode, so that we can move into the next episode. That this is about understanding, and the next episode is about
0: repair. You know? Yeah, I think that's I think that's where I would draw the line. Too that said, this isn't a bad scene by any measure. I think this is actually fairly well written. Mm-hmm. Is actually fairly confident. We get good versions of all of our investigators. Mm-hmm. It works.
1: Yeah. At Wolfram and Heart, Hart, Lila's nervous about the 75-year review, which is apparently quite the deadly affair for anyone not performing up to par. Lindsay is calm. If they don't pass the review, they don't pass the review. Who needs a head anyway? Lila is worried about their last two mistakes, two cute little vamps who ate a handful of their colleagues, and that they might make them look bad in the review. She asks Lindsay if he's heard from them, and he says no. Lila is all whatever and runs off to get all of her evil ducks into a nice even row of evil.
0: Why did we make Lila and Lindsay joint heads of special operations if we're not going to do anything with that story at all?
1: I don't know. I like Lila and Lindsay having to work together. I like them having to rely on each other. I liked it when it was them against all of Wolfram and Hart and they had to bond together in order to do that. But we're not seeing that dynamic.
0: No, because that dynamic only works when they're involved in the same storyline and they're of equal levels of competence. Why on earth? Would Lila believe Lindsay when he says that he hasn't heard from Darla? Yeah. Why on earth would anyone believe Lindsay? Why doesn't Lila have Lindsay tailed constantly <laughs> by Wolfman <Walker laughs> Hart security? Exactly, yeah. This, to me, it really does undercut Lila's character. Although, honestly, by this point, Lila is a character who has sudden and surprising peaks of excellence, yeah. but is generally pretty poorly written and we're just we're disinterested in her
1: well she's a plot mule you know she whenever really we need somebody to deliver a piece of plot we we slap it on Lila's back and we make her walk through the scene I really like Stephanie Romanov and I really love Lila um, she is one of my at favorite her best. characters yes. at her best she is one of my favorite characters but I don't think that she's really utilized that well I mean I, I love this scene on a scene level I love the dialogue between them I love that my mother was right I should have had children because then she would have something to sacrifice yeah. I think that these, this is a really cute moment and I like her and Lindsay in it. But yeah, when you think about the, it overall, it is another inconsistent Lila kind of trotting
0: through the scene. To yeah, lay down I, the exposition. I don't like the scene, I think, as much as you do. It's it's fine and the individual lines of dialogue are okay, but this is an incapable Lila and I don't find that impressive or engaging. It's and not I'm right. also Child distracted through <laughs> the first half of the scene because this is, I mentioned earlier that this episode is much more cinematic, Mm -hmm. particularly in its ambition, if not in its execution entirely. This scene is a perfect example of that because we start off with this crane shot where we move up from the bottom floor up to the first floor, up to that mezzanine. Mm -hmm. We pick up Lila, she moves across, she picks up Lindsay, they cross back, they come down the stairs all the way down to to the ground floor again, and we end the scene, which is great, except for the architecture of this building, (laughs) which is mostly giant featureless white columns, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: which means that the first half of the scene we're barely catching a glimpse of Lila and Lindsay. It's not well shot. And the ambition of the shot that has been constructed doesn't match the the direction, the tone, the focus of the scene itself. Not to mention the fact that it's distracting to have Lila and Lindsay talking about this incredibly important subject Mm -hmm. while just walking through the halls of Wolfram and Hart.
1: Just wandering around where anybody can hear them. Yeah, this is the kind of scene that would work better in a private office where they're having a discussion. Um, And I do like there is an ambition in the direction there that doesn't necessarily, I think, suit the scene itself. Yeah. You know, best for a narrative purpose. Um, but, you know, and overall, I, know. I really
0: like this scene. I, I know it, it sounds like I'm being really negative. I have one more scene that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And then the episode really does pick up. And, and it's not even that I that I hate mm-hmm. the opening with the investigators or the scene between Lindsay and Lila or the next scene with Kate. It's just that I'm, I'm already frustrated and these scenes feel... Incomplete and they certainly feel at war with each other, which makes sense because they're taken from at least two different stories
1: Yeah, no, they are split up uh, between these two Uh, Meanwhile at the police station Angel is telling Kate about all the dark sacrifices and rituals going on about town Kate has problems of her own though It turns out that the captain of the zombie precinct has filed a formal complaint against Kate for letting Angel in to beat him up Angel reminds her uh, Zombie cops and she reminds him that people are still asking questions about the massacre in Holland in Manners' house, a massacre from which, it appears, the victims were locked in with the attackers. She's done helping Angel now.
0: Yeah, this connects back with the investigator scene, with the Skeelish demon scene. The impossible thing could not have happened, therefore it didn't happen, therefore we have to find a rational explanation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't like the way that we're half-inverting that. The guy who ran the zombie cop precinct has filed a report against Kate? Mm -hmm. That's a thing that can happen in the Angel Universe? Because he summoned a lot of zombie cops, is my point.
1: (laughs) Right, and most of his precinct is now dead.
0: Yes. So yeah,
1: no, there's a whole bunch of stuff with that. Most
0: of his officers, his real living officers, were presumably dismissed, were presumably fired, were presumably transferred. So that he could have zombie cops on patrol without the regular police officer saying, hey, Barry, didn't you die three months ago? (laughs) So we're picking up the reference here to previous stories, which is good, but it doesn't feel consistent with the kind of universe that Angel is taking place with it right now. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure what to make of that, because there's even this tension within the scene where Angel shows up and says, hey, crazy supernatural things are happening. Mm -hmm. And Kate says, sure, but also police bureaucracy because of a crazy supernatural thing that happened. (laughs) What? Why are we stressing the mundane over the paranormal Mm -hmm. in this scene? The threat, specifically, of the mundane over the threat of the paranormal in this scene. Why is that important? You can do stories like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that with a little refinement and a little more confidence and a a little more care, the skilish demon scene at the beginning of the episode and this scene could really complement one another. Yeah. And even you could bring in the Wolfman Heart Hart storyline into that. But there's not enough focus. There's nothing like enough focus to make that feel comprehensive mm-hmm. to me anyway.
1: Well, I can certainly understand that. The thing that has always bothered me with Angel and Kate is that Angel, the whole reason in the Buffyverse, the whole reason, you know, in, in all of these stories, that we need a slayer, that we need Angel, we need somebody to do the protecting, to face the things that the police are not equipped to face or to understand, that the police are there for the mundane things, yeah. but they're not there for, you know, demons and vampires and all of that kind of stuff.
0: All the things that go bump in the
1: night. So. Angel's job is to take care of the things that Kate is not equipped to take care of, or that Kate, as a representative of the well, standard mundane world yes, police department, is not capable isn't. of taking care of. And so when he comes to her, it always feels weird. It feels like she should be the one. She's interested in this stuff. She sees that these things are happening. She should be going to him.
0: And because of exactly. He shows up and says, terrible things are going down all across the city. I'll go take care of it.
2: Exactly. You should
0: probably you know do your police things kate's circumstance is a little more a little more complicated than that because she has started to drift toward the paranormal world which i think has all kinds of potential all kinds of potential let's just say right now that we're never going to realize because elizabeth rome is leaving the series we're done with kate lockley this is her last Mm -hmm. appearance and she goes out i think it's fair to say on a really strong note this is far and away her best performance far and away her best storyline I like her more in this episode than I ever have.
1: I liked her in this scene, which freaked me out because I was like, did something happen? Did I get hit in the head? I really liked her. I understood her. I sympathized with her. She wasn't a jerk. Yeah. You know, I mean, I understood she was going through a, you know, a hearing and her whole career was being threatened. Right. And she's like, Hey, By the way, I let you out to save those people. You killed those people. So you know what? You and me, we're done here. That I understood.
0: Right, which should feel as though it's another beat on Angel's path toward ultimate despair. But our focus on him is so confused right now Mm -hmm. that that that's not clear. One of the great strengths of this episode, of these episodes, I guess, is that we are no longer investing in the future. We are burning everything down. We showed up with a story to tell, and we are going to tell that story. Mm -hmm. And that gives both parts of the story, I think, a real feeling of momentum. And that's the momentum that has been lacking throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Every time we've had a point of conflict, particularly between Angel and Darla, there's been a spark, and then they've gone back to their corners with a, with a solemn, we shall meet again, but next time. There is no more next time. There is no more investment in the future here. We're finally telling the story that we showed up to tell. And that gives the episode a real feeling of energy, and I think that's true for Kate too. Mm-hmm. We don't have to we don't have to qualify what she says to Angel, we don't have to hedge it, we don't have to bring her around, we don't have to soften their relationship again. We can just really commit to this really quite dark story. So I don't like the the precise and explicit mechanics of mm-hmm. how we get there, but the idea that Kate is on the ropes not specifically because of Angel, but because she has touched the supernatural world, and she is fundamentally ill-equipped to deal with that, Mm -hmm. that's really powerful. I think it's more potentially powerful than it is actually powerful, but I'm into the idea, at least.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's really good. Um, And I, you know, I'm I'm not sorry to see Kate go, but I'm sorry that they never really found the right mixture with her because Mm -hmm. when she's good, it's good. You know, this is the one scene in which Kate was... Like I was on her side. I totally got where she was coming from.
0: So often we're not given any real emotional access. The Mm -hmm. emotional access that we're offered is the manipulative, hyperbolic, soap opera kind of emotional Mm -hmm. access. That has never worked for Kate. So between her lack of apparent and engaging vulnerability and her lack of direct motivation and goal, Mm -hmm she's just never worked. Yeah. Now she has those things.
2: And she's and it's leaving. Working but
0: <laughs> with, with one powerful exception later, I think they actually do a great job of, of articulating what it is that Kate's going through in a way that they have never done before.
1: Yeah. Lindsay steps into his apartment with a brown paper bag in his hand and apologizes to someone for not making it home for lunch. Turns out someone is our old friend Darla who is weak and helpless on his couch. He gives her a bottle of blood, cold, but at least human, and goes off to take a shower. As the water turns on, Darla hops up off the couch, looking a lot less weak than she did just a moment ago. She goes into Lindsay's briefcase and pulls out a confidential memo about the 75-year review.
0: This is a great scene.
1: This is a great scene. This is
0: a great scene. Yes. I like all the dialogue. I love Lindsay's self-indulgent little arc mm-hmm. there. His little, oh, I'm always dirty. Which I feel like in another episode would have just hung in the air. That would have just been our, our, our closing point for the scene. Right. What I love most, though, is Darla's eye roll. Her yes. exasperation with him. And the way that when he leaves the room to start the shower, when she gets up, her entire physicality changes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's profound. It's striking. It's enormously powerful. I, I just love it. Julie Benz is fantastic.
1: Yeah, no, she really, really is. At Caritas, Angel tries to get Lauren to tell him what's going on. A bunch of lawyers are hanging out at the bar, and they're all nervous as hell. Apparently
0: everyone knows about
1: Caritas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anybody who has touched the supernatural side of things, I think, uh, knows where the sanctuary is. While Lauren has a strict confidentiality policy with what he reads in the soul of another, he's completely free and clear to divulge what he heard in the bathroom. The 75-year review is coming up, and the thing that does the reviewing is pure evil. In two words, senior partner.
0: Yes. I like this. Lorne is so great.
2: Yeah. I mean, Andy
0: Hallett is so, so good. Lorne is such an engaging and complex character. This is a completely perfunctory exposition scene. Yes. We are just passing Angel the necessary information, and we're doing it in the most straightforward and simple way possible. It is completely elevated by Lorne.
2: It is. Mm-hmm.
0: I like it a great deal. I'm not terribly happy with, you know, with Caritas just being the after-work hangout for all of for these lawyers. Everyone who works at Wolfram and Hart. Yeah. I like to think that Lauren has some standards. Right. But here we are again. This feels as though we're saying something about the intersection of the mundane world and the paranormal world mm. in Los Angeles. Right. But we're not really. We yeah, we never really quite get lean. there. Even the idea that Lauren won't tell you what he intuited mm-hmm. from the soul of another but he will tell you what he overheard in the bathroom. That's a perfect example of that hard contrast between the mundane and the supernatural. Yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't feel as though... It's, it's really building on anything that we've seen in previous scenes. It
1: doesn't feel deliberate. I get the sense that there is a, a, a genuine affection for that kind of contrast. I mean, even if we go back to the goats in the beginning, right? You know, I mean, there's this deep despair and he's going through, and, and it's a bunch of goats. Like, there's that contrast, I think, that Tim Minear is really, really fond of in his writing, and I like it quite a bit. But it does feel like we're we're hitting this same kind of thematic contrast over and over and over again, but we're now, not really going anywhere with yeah, it.
0: Yeah, we're aiming at the same target. Mm-hmm. But we're not always hitting, and we're not Always, you know, using the same weapon to strike at yeah. the target in the first place.
1: <laughs> Lauren doesn't have much more for Angel that we didn't already get from Lila and Lindsay's exposition scene earlier, but he does have three helpful tidbits. The band of blackmail, no, home office, and the fact that the lawyers at Wolfram and Hart really want to see Angel dead. At the Hyperion, Angel rummages through all of his stuff, but he can't find anything in that place anymore. So he goes to Investigator's Inc., where he busts through the door, duster jacket flying in his wake, without so much as a hello or I'm sorry I fired you all. He goes to get a book off the shelf, and when Cordy grabs it back, he threatens her. Wesley stands up from his wheelchair and tells Cordy to give him the book and for Angel to leave. Cordy rants for a bit, and then finally notices that Wesley's bleeding from his gunshot wound and calls for an ambulance.
0: I like the scene a great deal. It is perhaps a little overplayed. that mm-hmm. Cordelia has to give us the exposition about Angel's curse
2: yeah. again, mm-hmm.
0: just in case that is significant later in the episode. <laughs> I like the scene very much. Charisma Carpenter hasn't really been given a lot to do over the course of the last yeah. few episodes, but she brings it throughout this two-part Oh story.
1: God! And the betrayal yes. when when Angel it's threatens so her.
0: But Uh, this is my point. mm -hmm. This is the angel that we're dealing with now. Yes. This Mm -hmm. isn't the angel that we've seen previously in this episode. I mean, okay, he has a close relationship with Lauren, Mm -hmm. so I can buy that scene. But this isn't the angel who showed up with Kate just five minutes ago. And this certainly isn't the angel who was bantering with David Fury in the cold open.
2: Mm -hmm. This
0: is the angel that we need for the rest of the story to work, for the rest of the story to make sense. Right but we should have opened here. I mean, this actually wouldn't have been a bad. We
1: should have had Dark Angel combo. all the way through. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I can definitely see
1: the argument for that. And
0: I like the connection between Cordelia and Wesley. And I like, you can feel the absence of Gun. Yeah. Gun has become such a mediating presence
2: mm-hmm.
0: and such, such a welcome presence that you can feel how acutely Wesley in particular feels his absence. Oh, absolutely. We'll circle back around to that. We certainly
1: will. (laughs) At Kate's hearing, the committee decides that she's traumatized by her father's death, and thus the best thing to do is fire her. They demand her badge and gun, and then one of them says he's glad her father isn't around to see this. She doesn't immediately throw herself at him and try to kill him while crying about her daddy issues. So this is definitely a different Kate. And I think I kind of like
0: her. I I like her too. She's better here than she's been before. She's Mm -hmm. certainly possessed a little more capability, a little more confidence, a little more agency. These are all good and vital things. I think this might be my problem with the Kate storyline. Is that she has been contaminated by touching the paranormal world, and yet it's the mundane world that breaks her down. Yeah. And I'm just not sure that the show understands that, that the show (laughs) is confident enough in what it's doing to Kate. Yeah. That she's fought vampires. She's fought demons. She's seen the darkness at the heart of the world. Mm -hmm. And yet it's bureaucracy that destroys her. And tying it back to her father with this ham-fisted line about, I'm glad your father didn't live to see this. Yeah. Firstly, you know, screw you. No human being would say that to another human being.
1: Especially after you've just fired right. somebody. Why do you need to turn that why down?
0: Why would you? Do On
1: top of which, from the point of view of the writers, like the daddy issues are not helping this character. No,
0: the daddy issues are killing this character, yes. which is what makes it all the more painful when she returns home. And you guys, you had it. You had it in the palm <laughs> of your hand. And then you blew it all up. We'll get to that. that. Because we're about to hit one of my favorite things in this entire story.
1: Oh my god, I know. At a bookshop we have seen before, an elderly man watches television. Then Angel steps in asking if he is Denver. Turns out this is our youthful bookshop owner from Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? And he is very excited to see Angel again. He identifies the senior partner as a clay demon. Really nasty thing who uses a ring called the Band of Blackmail to travel between dimensions. Angel wants to use it to travel as well and destroy all the senior partners, which Denver thinks is a pretty good idea, especially since he let the Thessalac demon kill all those people at the Hyperion in 52, but you know what? Bygones. Unfortunately, in order to kill the act demon and get the Band, you need a <laughs> glove, and Denver just happens to have it. Unfortunately, right as he's about to give it to Angel, Darla shish-kebabs them both on a sword and walks off with the glove while throwing away a line that the ring isn't about vengeance, it's about power, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but, you know, okay, she walks away and Angel de-shish-kebabs himself from Denver's body.
0: He does, yes, I don't get that closing line either. hmm Feels like that might have been a remnant of an earlier version of the story. Because it
1: isn't about vengeance. It's about power. And you know, that's great, but nobody was talking about nobody vengeance. Nobody
0: talked about vengeance. I, mean, I, guess,
1: I guess his obsession with Wolfram and Hart is kind of about vengeance. Okay,
0: but if you're going to do that, you need to articulate that in the scene because otherwise yeah.
1: Darla sounds
0: crazy. Right. This is... This is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Bringing Denver back is so
1: smart. Is so powerful.
2: Love that
0: performance. Mm -hmm. Love this entire set. Love the exposition because I love the character work that underpins it. And we're drawing explicit connection between this angel on the brink of despair and darkness and the angel from 1952, who was removed from the world, apart from the world, and who let terrible things happen. Mm -hmm. We are being completely clear about who Angel is now and that is something that we have needed we have craved that for weeks at a time now
2: Mm -hmm. this
0: is incredibly powerful building off of the earlier scene with the investigators with Cordelia in particular this works so well for me and even the appearance of Darla at the end Mm -hmm. and the stabbing with the sword that's good, too.
1: I don't mind that. It just feels like a weird throwaway line. There's something with no, Darla's the line, throw, like, yes. the throwaway lines that have been a problem like from the beginning.
0: The line yeah. itself, not a great line. We needed more setup yeah. for it. But Darla's showing up. But
1: I like the movement.
2: Yeah. The
0: exposition is very confused. <laughs> it's very muddied. Mm-hmm. You need the glove so you can get the ring so that you can travel through the dimensional barrier and end up in hell where you can kill the senior partners. Obviously one of the senior partners is coming to earth, but the senior partner himself isn't coming to earth. He's inhabiting the body of a clan acting. This is, it is very complicated. It's very complicated and it's frustrating because it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter. We don't need the ring. Ultimately, the ring is going to be a trinket. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the whole story with the senior partners coming to earth is never going to be fully realized. No, we never really go anywhere with that. Which is fine. You can make that decision to Mm -hmm. set something up and then subvert expectations. That's absolutely fine. But if you're going to do that, don't invest all of these moving parts into your apparatus. Keep it clean and keep it simple so that your viewer can understand when the subversion happens, when you change direction. Mm -hmm. Because as it is, I, I know from correspondence that we've already received there are a lot of people who have watched this episode and don't understand what happened. Mm -hmm. Like, they literally can't follow the movement of the plot from basically this point to Angel's ultimate epiphany.
1: And this is what we talk about whenever we talk about scaffolding, right? You Mm want to do something and so in order to do that you build something else on it and you build something else on it to hold it up. And if you have to put that much scaffolding around an idea you've got to tear down that idea and simplify it.
0: You're right, though I'm not even sure that it's about scaffolding in this instance because none of these things are necessary for the Mm -hmm. plot unfold in the way that it unfolds I mentioned earlier it feels as though there wasn't a single idea that was deemed too bad or too stupid or too incompatible to include in this script and I wonder how many drafts the script went through Mm -hmm. I wonder at what point this script was written and at what point it was retooled so that it can be this premature climax for the Darla storyline because all of this stuff feels like it belongs it in a slightly bigger. different story. Like yes. It feels
1: like we're, we're leading up to like a season-ending climax here. It absolutely With does. all of these details. So
0: I wonder yeah. if Tim Minier already Denver had
1: this. back, which is a big right. thing for people who have been like really paying attention. Yeah.
0: But it feels as though what we're moving toward is a real show-stopping climax. Yeah. We're really going to invest in this. Instead, we don't. We go through the build-up that you would expect for a... Becoming part two, graduation day, part two, kind of climax. Uh But we don't ever get there. We pivot away from that to a much smaller story. Mm -hmm. Which I think is the right choice. And I really like where this episode ends up. But all of this investment of time and of detail Mm -hmm. is a little frustrating. This is, though, for me, probably the most powerful exploration of Angel's current circumstance that Mm -hmm. we're going to get. I love this scene. It is... Absolutely incompatible with The Angel from the beginning of the episode, but that's fine. We've now patched that up, Mm -hmm. we've now picked up our momentum, and we're telling the story.
1: Yes, we are. At Wesley's apartment, Virginia is worried about how dangerous Wesley's work is. Creepy crawlies and monsters are one thing, but guns? (laughs) He says that the gun was fired by a zombie, if that helps... She curls up next to him and talks about the values of an ordinary life. And everyone hears the death knells of the relationship. And this is the most I've liked Virginia.
0: Yeah. no, Well, we don't care about Virginia at all. She's barely being a yeah. character. Mm-hmm. But you're right. She's great here. And this is what I was talking about earlier. When Tim Minier is confident, mm-hmm. when Tim Minier knows what he's doing, when Tim Minier is assured, he writes this spare, clean, muscular dialog mm-hmm. This to me is is a great example of Tim Minear at his best. I, mean, I don't Wesley. care yeah. about Virginia. I barely care about Wesley's romantic life. And yet this scene isn't just strong. It isn't just engaging. It doesn't just do what it sets out to do, but it represents these much broader issues. Yeah. I love the idea that, well, demons, sure, but guns, mm-hmm. that's an idea that strikes at the very heart of what the <laughs> angel universe is. And we get it from Virginia. Mm-hmm. This is the proof to me the scene with, with Darlene and Lindsay, the scene with Devon and Angel, mm-hmm. now the scene the scene with Lauren and Angel, too. Mm-hmm. This is what Tim Minier does well. Yeah. And this is great stuff.
1: Yeah, and no, I think it is real good. In her apartment, Kate gets drunk and cries <laughs> and knocks
0: all of her cop awards <laughs> to the floor. And that sound you can hear is me banging my head on the desk. We were so close. <laughs> she comes in. She, yes, perches on the edge of her counter there, which is weird. But... We don't want to take the time to build out an entire living room for Kate, so we won't. Mm -hmm. That's fine. She perches there. She pours herself a drink. Elizabeth Rom is doing the best acting Mm -hmm. that we've seen from her in this show to date. She tears the trophies down off the shelves. That's great. And then it's a picture of her goddamn father. (laughs) Her father. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. That is a poisoned well.
1: Yeah, no, it really, really is. And the thing that you need to do is pull Kate as far away from her daddy issues as you possibly can. And yet, there we are, right. and this going isn't, back to This it. isn't
0: just because Kate's father is terrible and that relationship is terrible and mm-hmm. I don't care. It's that he's dead.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Bringing out the importance of Kate's role, emphasizing that importance to her, how much being a cop is a fundamental part of her identity mm-hmm. and how lost she would be without it, Right. that is... Current and present and active and important, undercutting that by reminding us all that she's a daddy's girl,
2: mm-hmm. that
0: all that she's ever wanted was his approval,
1: and making everything oh, about Kate about her father. Yeah, like. You know, it doesn't matter. I love that she's invested in the work. I like when Kate is, you know, really dedicated to doing the job that she needs to do. I mean, I like that part of Kate. And then we always bring her back to this very brittle, very cheap vulnerability that doesn't fly, that doesn't sell. We right. don't believe it, we don't buy it. And when she's all upset over her daddy, we roll our eyes. We're yeah, it's just tired it's of it. not
0: strong in the first mm-hmm. place. And we have absolutely torn that relationship apart since it was introduced, in fact.
1: Yeah, no, it has been a disaster from yeah. the beginning, so...
0: Referencing yeah. Sense and Sensitivity at this point, not a strong play Not, sure. a, strong not a, strong play.
1: a strong play. Outside Wolfram and Hart, Angel easily takes down the two goons Lila hired to protect her. He forces her to get him into the building, and she complies while noticing that he's suffering from a gut wound. From his apartment, Wesley calls into the office to let Cordelia know that he won't be in the next day. He doesn't tell her about breaking up with Virginia, but they have a nice conversation, and he assures her that things will get better for all of them. She says she'll call the next day to check up on him, and he says that would be nice.
0: And we may as well bang the final nail into the coffin of their friendship. (laughs) Because it's done. Without this unifying presence of Angel, without this shared cause, the Investigators have nothing holding them together. I love this scene so much. Mm-hmm. This is the best Wesley and Cordelia that we've had in the longest, longest time. Oh, I love
2: it.
1: And this is the Wesley, the, the fighting, bickering brother and sister Wesley and Cordelia I was never a
2: big fan of. <laughs> That's
0: completely forgotten about at this point, which I yeah. just adore. I
2: love and it. Mm-hmm.
0: The beautiful contrast when you revisit the scene after watching this episode a few times, mm-hmm. the contrast between Wesley and Cordelia here and what we learn later is Gunn's simple and direct friendship and loyalty. Mm-hmm. I just love it.
1: No, I think it's really great. I love these relationships, and I love the way that we've strengthened them all throughout the season, and uh, and now we're moving yeah. into figuring and out how we shuffle that back in.
0: Another scene beautifully written by Tim Minier. Another scene redolent with that confidence, with that that subtlety. He's really good. When he's good, he's really he's good. he's
1: really, really good. Wesley and Cordy hang up, and Cordy's about to go home when the phone rings again. It's Mrs. Sharp of the Ungrateful Sharps, and she asks Cordy to come help her with another problem for which she'll happily pay with a bouncy personal check. Cordy doesn't care. She jots down the address and promises to head on out. At the Sharps, Mrs. Sharp turns to a demon and says that one of them is on the way. The demon pats her head and tears it off. (laughs) <laughs> um I actually quite liked the way the demon goes in for this sort of loving pat and then just twists her head yeah, in this no, violent action. It was a nicely shot
0: the conversation between Wesley and Cordelia, mm-hmm. then the pickup conversation between Cordelia and Mrs. Sharp, that's our cold open for yeah. next week's episode.
1: Yeah, no, it Start absolutely there. is. Yeah.
0: This in the middle of this episode, Angels dealing with what is apparently a brewing apocalypse. Mm-hmm. We don't have time for this. Right. We're not emotionally invested in Mrs. Sharp in particular.
1: Mm-hmm. And this isn't the story that we are in this episode to tell.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a misplay too, having Mrs. Sharp be present and and fairly unpleasant mm-hmm. at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Having her say that her husband has, you know, decided not to pay the bill is less powerful than having. The husband show up and say it himself.
1: Exactly. Because
0: then we could preserve a little empathy for Missus Sharp, which would make this scene and the earlier phone call mm-hmm. that much more powerful.
1: Yeah, and more compelling for Cordy yeah. to say, "Yes, let's come and help you." I mean, granted, you know, their mission is help the helpless, help people regardless of whether they're horrible and will not pay. Um, but Cordy, I think, being pragmatic the way that she is, especially when it comes to issues of money, um, I think that it gives her <laughs> a, like a greater motivation. to to head on over there and help out and maybe convince them to to pay them for the job that they've done. Does
0: that work for you? Because after I'd watched the episode, I wondered whether or not I should have been upset Mm -hmm. about this regressive depiction of Cordelia's character. That Cordelia is always obsessed with money. Mm -hmm. And we get that beat later where the three guys kind of, oh yeah, that Cordelia. Exactly. But to me, it doesn't feel like that. It didn't Mm -hmm. bother me because it feels as though Cordelia is actually concerned not about her personal wealth, but about the business. She wants this money so that so they that can the continue to do
1: good. Can, yes. Mm-hmm. Is
0: that right? Is that a fair <laughs> that's, reading? That's
1: kind of always how I've read Cordelia. Um, it,
0: <laughs> I think that it's explicitly counterfactual in the yeah. first season.
1: <laughs> oh, well, no. I mean, I think that generally her thing has been about, at first it was, let's get paid so that I can get paid so that I can do the things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Since she picked up the vision, since she sort of picked up on the mission, um, mm-hmm. it's been about, we need this so that we continue doing the work that we need to do and having the money that that allows them to do that is really really important to her and always has been. Mm -hmm. I think now it is even more important that it is about a way to support the mission rather than to support, you know, a shoe addiction or whatever it is (laughs) that they're going to give her. At Wolfman Heart there's a cocktail party slash ritual summoning. Nathan Reed approaches Lindsay about his missing co-VP and just then Angel and Lila appear. Lila elbows Angel in the gut and runs, and Lindsay chases after Angel, who manages to get in the crowd, pull a brunette wig off of Darla, and throw holy water in her face. Darla vamps out, and a fight ensues, only she's wearing the deadly glove, so she's got a bit of an advantage. They fight just as the senior partner materializes in the room. Lila calls for Angel to stake Darla, and Lindsay punches her dead (laughs) in the face doesn't matter. Angel's not after Darla. He's after the glove. And once he gets it, he grabs the senior partner with it. And the senior partner dissolves into dust as he and Angel fall through a plate-glass window onto what I presume will be very startled pedestrian traffic below. <laughs> Darla gives Lindsay a surprise look, then flees. Lila stares daggers at Lindsay and doesn't
0: move. This is pretty powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to me Darla's motivation? Can, Why is she here? She, first What of is all, she doing? How did she get into the building? Apparently Lindsay doesn't know that she's there.
1: She went to Denver's to get the glove, to yeah. kill the senior partner to get the band of blackmail. Right. Is that... And
0: because I know that we're going to get emails. Yes. Yes, this is not the senior partner. It is the... This is the spirit. This is the essence of the senior partner inhabiting the Kleenex demon. So the senior partner, resolutely not dead at this point, whatever mm-hmm. that may or may not mean. I don't know what Darla's game plan is here it certainly seems that she wants to use the glove kill the demon get the ring Travel step three profit sure.
1: dimensions sure I guess Some Darla dimensions. as we know
0: has clear and well articulated goals right that's always been the case
1: yeah it, it I didn't understand exactly why she was at Denver's why she again
0: relic of an older story yeah I would put money on it mm-hmm. at this point
1: yeah
0: it works well enough in the moment, and the effect of Angel getting the glove, mm-hmm. choking the demon, bursting through the glass, falling to right. the street, that's really powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I like the scene, it works well. I'm not sure that it stands up to a great deal of scrutiny,
2: <laughs> but it
0: gets us where we need to go, which is the hard pivot away from the Apocalypse storyline. Yes. We now don't care about the 75-year review at all, mm-hmm. we don't care about the consequences of the War from the Heart. All done. We are done, mm-hmm. put a bow on it, it's finished. Now we pivot into the Angel Despair storyline. Yes. And we do that with the help of Holland Manners.
1: I know, it's kind of fun. Angel lands on the sidewalk and the only thing left of the Klaenak demon is the glove and the ring. Angel puts on the ring and commands it to take him to the home office. Behind him, an elevator door dings and opens. Inside the elevator, Holland Manners gives Angel a slow clap and congratulates him. Angel is a little confused because of how Holland Manners is supposed to be dead and everything, but Holland says that his contract with Wolfram Hart extends beyond death, and that explains everything. He invites Angel into the elevator, and Angel steps in. Holland tells Angel that the trip is one way, and it's a long ride. He hits a button simply labeled down, and the elevator (laughs) descends. As elevator music plays, Holland opines on the futility of trying to prevent evil. You stop one apocalypse, another one's just going to show up a few minutes later. Angel tells him that they're not going to win, and Holland laughs. They never had any intention of doing anything so prosaic as winning. Angel asks him why they fight then, and Holland says, that's the question you should be asking yourself. Except you already answered that question in amends, and really, Holland, if you're going to be on a spin-off of a TV show, you should be familiar with the source material. It's just sloppy work.
0: Uh, you said the A-word,
2: <laughs> and I don't
0: think that we're allowed to talk about amends. Yes. Because as far as this episode is concerned, amends didn't happen. Mm-hmm. At least Angel seems to have forgotten the epiphany that he had at the end of that episode, because yes. guys, buckle up. He's about to have it again. <laughs> the epiphany's so nice, you can have it twice. <laughs> what? And this is a very important question. Mm-hmm. What is happening here? I really love the way that it's written.
2: Yeah.
0: I love the way that it's delivered. This is, of course, a great performance. And I like the philosophical mm-hmm. engagement. But what is literally actually happening here?
2: I
1: have absolutely no idea. It, this is where this episode takes a hard left turn for me. We have this whole thing. We're building up the 75-year review. All of these lawyers are nervous. They're sacrificing things all over town. There's demons. There's everything. Nothing. We stop no. that dead. We land on the street. Next thing, we're in an elevator with Holland Manners Which listening to Muzak.
0: would work really well or beautifully as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. If this is an account of Angel's experience, and we ultimately may have to decide that it is just a subjective experience and that it doesn't really happen, Because if it really happens, this is weird. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's an actual literal elevator that is theoretically capable of taking you to hell if you have a magic ring? I guess so. Is that really what we're seeing?
1: Well, but the thing is, is that we go through this whole thing, we have this whole conversation with Holland Manners, and it's all for nothing. It it all has no consequence. Mm. It's just for nothing, which is part of the frustration I think the angel feels. But I mean, I feel it too, as somebody following a story...
0: See, that's where I would draw the distinction. It feels like it's for nothing for Angel, Mm -hmm. but this is actually a resounding victory for Wolfram and Hart because they managed to do the thing that they've been trying to do all season long, which is break him. Which
1: is break him and have him go dark. Holland prattles on a little more about how evil is in the souls of every living being from the first caveman clubbing his neighbor. You can't root out evil. It is the root. Angel stares off into the middle distance, and boy, haven't we all been there, stuck in an elevator with a middle management evil? If I had a nickel. Anyway, the elevator finally stops, and when the door opens, Angel's about to step out, except it's the street where they just were, only a moment later. Turns out the hell dimension is Earth. People are evil, and there's no fighting that.
0: Except for, no, uh no it isn't. Mm-hmm. Because we know that there are actual hell dimensions. Yes, Angels beamed to one of them, at least one, one that right. we know about. This is weird. And because, the band
1: of blackmail. We went through this whole thing to get the band yes. of blackmail, so that we could travel to this thing and land exactly where we left off. And it's it's just like this restart. And then this it's a long trip, and it's one way back to where you came from, which well, is here's round trip. <laughs>
0: I think that this is a little bit of shenanigans from Holland Manor's here, mm. or from whatever creature is inhabiting Holland Manor's yeah. body, because I'm not entirely sure that he that is... it is actually Holland Manor's. Yeah, it's, so it's yes, it's complicated okay. and it doesn't really matter. I think it is entirely possible that the elevator, the magical mystical elevator, could have taken Angel to the actual hell dimension where the senior partners live. Yeah. But this is their final gambit. Mm -hmm. Do the whole conversation, point out to him that you're never going to win, that you're never even going to have any lasting effect, Mm -hmm. then open the doors and let him wander off in despair. I think that if he had turned around and threatened Holland Manners, if he had thrown Holland Manners out and pushed the buttons himself, Mm -hmm. he could potentially have found his way to the hell dimension. I'm not sure that it's entirely metaphorical as much as it's a bit of manipulation. Because the alternative is that this is basically a dream sequence, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I don't know. I really like what it's saying, and I like where it takes us. But the actual physical mechanics at play here beats me.
1: Well, we build up this whole narrative, and we go absolutely nowhere with it. Mm-hmm. Um, had he actually been, he goes through all of this to get this band of blackmail, and it does nothing. Yeah. It doesn't have any power. There's well, no point
0: no no, no. to it. It does have power. We know for sure that it does have power because Lindsay later tells Darla when she has the ring. Mm-hmm that they disempowered it using a ritual of Ultraman Heart. That's yeah. not the kind of thing that you actually have to depict, of course. Mm. We can definitely toss that off of a line of exposition. Right. But apparently the ring does, in fact, have some kind of mystical power.
2: I, I we guess. just don't know
0: what it actually is. We haven't is. seen
1: any evidence of that, so yeah, because I don't
0: know. Within the space of this episode, the mystical ring basically functions like peyote.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Angel
0: just has There's a, vision, a quest.
1: vision quest. Right. <laughs> In a montage of depression, we see Angel walking the streets of Los Angeles, witnessing bad people behaving badly. <laughs>
0: Wouldn't you love to recut that and just include like some terrible but completely mundane things?
2: Yes. <laughs> this guy's just
0: talking loudly on his cell phone. He's the worst. The root of all human evil.
1: Kate reaches into her medicine cabinet and pulls out a prescription bottle. Wesley lies on his couch, clutching a pillow because he's just been dumped and Cordy gathers her things (laughs) to leave the office.
0: Yep, Wesley sure has been dumped.
2: That's the dumped pillow.
0: also there's the separating gut wound that he has. Yes, there is that. But yes, it's it's the emotional pain that's really affecting him.
2: I think
1: think the big moment we're (laughs) supposed to be experiencing with Wesley is that, that kind of, you know, gaping maw of loneliness. Angel returns to the Hyperion just as the answering machine with Cordy's voice on it picks up. It's Kate leaving a drunken suicide voicemail. Angel turns the machine off, and goes upstairs. In his apartment, Darla steps out of the shadows, and he offers her the ring, dropping it to the ground. She goes for it, and he grabs her and throws her against the wall and kisses her. She pushes him away, telling him not to play games. He says he's not playing, he just wants to feel something besides the cold. They lie back on the desk and make out for a bit, and then he throws her through the French doors into his bedroom. She wants to know what he's doing, and he says it doesn't matter, none of it matters. They fall back on the bed and have sex. Later, a thunderstorm rages as Angel wakes up in bed with a sudden gasp, and we cut to black, and that is the end of reprise.
0: First off, no-no TV show, you don't get to do that. Mm -hmm. You don't get to evoke surprise and innocence if you're not going to follow through. In fact, you don't get to evoke surprise and innocence, period. Even if this was the moment where Angel lost his soul for the second time, I don't know, 15th time probably, then you still don't get to reference surprise and innocence. Mm -hmm. That is... That's just really cheap.
1: It's incredibly that's sad. cheap.
0: Everything else at the Hyperion, everything leading up mm-hmm. to that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly powerful. The tiny detail of having Cordelia's voicemail message. Yeah. This this remnant of a happier, mm-hmm. simpler time. That's incredibly powerful. And how Kate's incredibly message,
1: dark it is that he listens yes. to that message and just doesn't no,
0: deal with it. He's completely beyond he's the moral. He's so of that horizon,
2: lost man. and gone. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that is what redeems him, I think, for what is an incredibly dark sex scene with Darla. This is a kind of violence and a kind of cruelty that I don't think we've seen before in Buffy or in Angel. This is not Angelus, the the gleeful monster. Mm -hmm. This is something else, and it's much, much harder to watch. I was surprised just how dark it is. Particularly for network TV.
1: No, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, Darla seems to like it, you know, in consenting adults and whatnot, so at least there's that. But um, but yeah, no, this is incredibly dark. And you're seeing Angel go down a path from which, you know, you're not going to easily come back from this. Mm-hmm. You know, he has, this is his absolutely hitting, like, rock bottom. Like, he has just lost everything that makes him angel that makes him the hero you know um and i like it i mean i think that this is a really powerful moment for him i don't like the fake out that oh my god he lost his soul because we've spent all of this time and 150 years darling you never made me happy we've already gone through that happiness does not just equal sex at all it means sex with
0: Buffy or sex with somebody that he loves. A recurring problem in this episode, which is that it feels as though we're going back to some familiar beats, but we're treating them as though they are brand new. Angel has gone through this dark night of the soul before in a man's. Mm -hmm. We have gone through the actual mechanics of his curse, both with Buffy in Mm -hmm. Sunnydale and previously in this season. Yes. We've done this. We know these things already. That said, I don't really mind that we're circling back around to them. I don't really mind that we're laying them out more emphatically. And that we're drawing new connections between these elements, between old and new elements. Mm-hmm. It is, for me, extremely powerful. I do hate that fake out. Almost as much as I hate out. the
1: goods. I hate the fake out. That makes me crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, but overall, I mean, I do, I do like where we get. I like that Sleeping with Darla is the ultimate... Yeah
2: you know well, the
0: ultimate low actor that bad. is the
1: rock bottom
0: to yeah. be clear i hate that we have any kind of fake out mm-hmm. that angel has lost his soul again the cliffhanger ending is cheap
2: yeah
0: it's always cheap you know yes leading us down this path is is not mm-hmm. worthy of this show and the right. work that the show's done to get us to this point but specifically faking us out by referencing surprise and innocence yes that's because that's it's just the
1: exact same thing yeah Yeah. We open on the same shot, moving in through Angel's trashed bedroom to his bed, where he wakes up in what you could be forgiven as seen as the gasp of the recently desold. He runs out to the balcony in the rain, falls to his knees, looking up just as the lightning strikes, and something here is very familiar. (laughs) Darley gets up from bed, wraps herself in a sheet, and tells Angel not to worry, just let it happen. Thunder crashes, Angel gasps, and we cut to credits.
0: Because if one cliffhanger is good, two cliffhangers is better.
1: Absolutely. Let's
0: drag this out for as long as we possibly can.
1: And play the exact, I mean, it's in the rain, it's the the shirt, it's the exact same thing. I
0: don't mind... Ah, It's so complicated. I don't mind the the precision with which they make the reference. We Mm -hmm. get this great line from Darla in a very different context. Was I not good? Yeah. Echoing Buffy's words after Mm -hmm. he changed in the middle of season two. I like the care with which we draw the parallel. I don't care for the parallel. I
1: don't like the fake-out. I don't yeah. like the fact that we're leading people well, to believe yeah. that he's lost his soul. I don't like
0: the fake-out at all. I also don't like the reference. But I do appreciate the care with which we make the reference. Sure. If that's not you know, during a very fine life.
1: I guess, no, I can certainly understand that. Back on Angel's balcony, Angel is suffering and Darla is sympathizing. The soul is gone. It leaves a bitterness, but it will pass. Angel stands up and apologizes. She saved him, but he couldn't save her. Darla and we realize together that we've just been witness to a major fake out, but whatever, Angel still has a soul. They go back into the bedroom, and Darla doesn't understand. The sex was perfect, and she should know she used to do this for money. I
2: love this that. This is line
1: fantastic! So
0: much. I love Let's go again. That's so good.
1: Her, her professional dignity insulted. She insists they do it again, but Angel turns her down. He rambles for a bit. She saved him. He tried to save her. She was the reason, yada, yada, yada. As she rants at him and says the same things Kate said on her voicemail of death, Angel realizes he has to go. Darla tries to stake him with a shattered piece of the French doors they busted up the night before, but he stops her. He tells her to get out and get gone, because the next time he sees her, he will kill her.
0: The arc here is entirely dependent on the performance of David Yeah, He has to convince us, because he, and no one else, has to drag Angel back across Mm -hmm. that line. He has to make us care again. Yes. He is monstrous when he returns to the Hyperion at the end of the first half mm-hmm. of the story. He has to do so much work here yeah. to regain our trust. We have to be reinvested. We have
1: to we recognize we Angel in him again. Yeah. And he does it. Mm-hmm.
0: It's... It's a crazy good performance.
1: Yeah, no, it really is. I don't think that he gets a lot of credit for how good he is as Angel, but he really is.
0: Yeah, I like to think that we give him. I think we do. I don't think you know a
1: lot of other people do. I think <laughs> a lot of people see David as, as just another pretty boy, but I think he's got real talent.
0: I think he's great. I think Julie Benz is great. I think that the two of them together, when they are at their best, and when the dialogue is as sharp as this dialogue yeah. is, I no, think this they're is fantastic. a great
1: yeah. scene, and I love Julie Benz in it. She's fantastic. Angel knocks on Kate's door and busts it down. Kate's alive, but unconscious. He drags her into the shower and tries to revive her. Eventually, she coughs and wakes up. Later, Kate thanks him and tells him to leave. So we're back to the old Kate again, but, you know, okay.
0: I think we can give Kate a pass
2: She's had a rough under night. these
0: very particular circumstances. <laughs> Let's talk a little about the metaphysics. Kate is going to bring this up at the end of the episode, yeah. but she's going to do so in a very ambiguous fashion. Yes. How come... Angel can break into Kate's apartment.
1: I love that moment. I love the ambiguity of it. Um, I like that in this moment, unless you're watching it super critically, I remember the experience of watching this the first time. And I didn't mm-hmm. even think about how he could get into her apartment. I presume that she had invited him in at one point or whatever. I, I don't remember. She's
0: you know? specifically, in fact, previously refused, refused to offer him an, an to invitation. to invite him
1: in. Yes. Yeah. So um, I, I love this moment he gets in and we're all like, you know, oh my God, and he he manages to revive her and that's all great. What I, I love, this moment in itself is, is okay, but what I love is when we get to that at the end, when Kate says, you know, I have faith in something because how did you get into my apartment? That we're actually yes. looking at that as a question. How was he able... To get in, it. it is entirely possible that maybe at that moment she was technically dead and he just revived That's certainly her.
0: one of the possibilities. So yeah. there are three possibilities that I can think of. The first is that the phone call, the desperate phone call, somehow works as an implicit invitation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But Angel charges at the door like he knows that's that quite this is stretch. true. a stretch,
2: yeah. Well,
0: it, it's a stretch that's not that much more stretched than
2: yeah. previous
0: stretches that we've <laughs> made in Buffy and Angel. So that's one possibility. The second possibility is that for a moment... Kate was dead yeah, and therefore the rules of invitation didn't apply. That doesn't seem to be true because all he does is drag her into the shower.
1: All he does is run cold water and over her as which we will know, not wake up most dead people.
0: Right. Yeah. An angel can't give CPR he can't. because he doesn't have breath. Right. Though vampires evidently and manifestly do have breath. Because but there could they be some smoke, but right, you know, whatever. There could be some magical component there, sure. we don't know. Sure. There could be something going on. Mm-hmm. The third option is that something intervenes, that the powers that be, or some other force in the universe, bends the rules.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm reminded of a really interesting discussion that came out of SDCC this year, where Joss Whedon was asked about the power of crosses, and the power that they have over vampires. How come a cross can burn a vampire? How come a cross can repel a vampire? And he said at SDCC this year, it is entirely psychological. Mm -hmm. There's no magic happening there This is just a psychosomatic response on the part of the vampire. This is just a sympathetic response to a story that they have been told before. That doesn't matter. I mean, that doesn't actually have any weight. Mm -hmm. Death of the Author tells us it's cool, but that's what Joss Whedon believes. We don't have to believe the same thing if Mm -hmm. we don't want to believe the same thing. I certainly don't believe the same thing because we see an abundance of evidence that crosses can impact vampires, even when the vampires aren't initially aware of the presence of the crosses but I wonder about the rules of invitation. Are the rules of invitation equally psychologically rooted? If a vampire just believes that they have been invited, Mm -hmm. can they still enter the apartment? This opens up all kinds of thought experiments that I want to pursue.
1: No, it is, it's really interesting. I mean, part of it could be that if there is a pure intent in entering someone's apartment, if there is like his intent is to save her and to help her, Maybe if you're fueled enough by genuine goodness, Mm -hmm. you know, then that does something to alleviate the...
0: didn't get it into Kate's fault in this apartment.
1: Certainly did not. No. But yeah, no, it is a really interesting question. I like the fact that it's ambiguous, and I love the the moment when Kate mentions it later in the episode. I think that's a really powerful moment.
0: I'm going to pin you down to an answer, though. (laughs) For you, what is your headcanon?
1: My headcanon is she was dead for a moment, and then just kind of popped back into life. Mm. That's
0: my head canon. My headcanon is that the message was an implicit invitation.
2: Okay. That All that right. was
0: enough. Oh, I think okay. that I think there's enough wiggle room there. Yeah. Because why would she call him if not to ask for help?
2: Yeah.
0: So I think there's something there. I, I'm also sympathetic to the idea that the powers that be Interpeged. intervened and changed the rules.
2: Yeah.
0: I like that very much, but if you start believing if you start believing that the powers that B can take such casual action, mm-hmm. then you're going to be asking questions about every incident detail. Why don't they intervene here? Why don't
2: they intervene
1: there? We have a yeah. dragon in an apocalypse. Well, Why are I they also not in yeah. I
0: also feel as though it undercuts... It undercuts the actual thematic and philosophical thrust of this episode, which is we fight because we fight. This is this existentialist argument. Mm -hmm. We do what we do because we decide what has meaning, because we decide what is good Mm -hmm. and important and valuable. We decide what is virtuous and we take the action that seems right to us. And that in itself gives the world meaning, makes the fight matter. If the powers that be can casually intervene and can decide, no, you know what, this one, that's okay. This one will give you a pass. Yeah. That takes something away from from that existentialist argument.
1: Yeah, For well, it's one of these things like the oracles, right? You yeah. know, if you can go to the oracles and just ask them to turn back time anytime something goes wrong, well then what is the big deal? Like that is an excessive amount of power
0: and so why can't we said, not just
1: use it all the time? We have
0: introduced elements into the angel verse, into the buffy verse that we conveniently forget about, that we no, conveniently don't enough. revisit. There are presumably other demons out there with glowing blood that can make Angel human.
2: Mm-hmm. Can we're just never find going ahead. to
0: circle back around to that again. Yeah. And nor is, no spoilers, anyone else.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: No one's ever going to pay any attention to the idea that there's mm-hmm. demon blood out there, apparently demon blood that, that many people are familiar with,
2: Yeah.
0: that can okay. burn the vampire out of a human being.
2: Yeah.
0: We shall never talk of it again. <laughs>
1: Back at Lindsay's, Darla stares out the window. He reports that Wolfram and Hart has ordered that Darla be staked on sight. Darla doesn't care. She sits in a chair, plays with the band of blackmail. Lindsay takes it from her and asks her where she got it. She says it doesn't matter. It doesn't work anymore. Lindsay says, of course it doesn't. He and the rest of the Wolfram and Hart magical whatevers were up half the night disenchanting it. She says it was her payment, and Lindsay tells her to tell him everything. At Caritas, Angel wakes Lauren up to have a middle-of-the-night talk. Lauren says Angel's had a moment of clarity, and Angel doesn't know how he can come back from it. Getting his crew back will be the hardest part, especially because it looks like they may not survive the night. Which, it seems like that's the first thing you say when Angel shows up. Like, all of your friends are about to die. Lauren, the
0: first line on your job description is offering exposition. Exactly. Maybe be better at that. (laughs) Maybe, you know, prioritize. Maybe
1: just mention, when everybody's going to die, maybe have that be the first thing you
0: say. You'd hope so, right? I'm just saying. This is just a great scene. Mm -hmm. Just a great scene. We really do delve into the damage that Angel has done, and we're prepared to deal with the consequence. That's fantastic. There is no simple you know, hit the button, reset, switch at the end of this episode. This, though, should be the second episode. Yes. We should open the second episode with Wesley and Cordelia, with the phone call from Mrs. Sharp. Then we should come out of credits onto this scene. This sets the stage for everything. Obviously, Lindsay is going to have a role to play in the Mm. second half of the story, though. Well, not if I was editing the script. I'll put it that way. Oh,
1: God, I love Lindsay in this
0: (laughs) one. It's, I mean, so dumb.
1: Oh. So very
0: dumb. But dumb.
2: But I like it. But on the other hand,
0: wow, it's dumb.
2: But the truck is cool.
0: The truck is fantastically cool. The truck is cool. so cool. Yes, no, it is great that Lindsay stops being a lawyer at Wolfram and Hart and instead, you know, appears in a John Steinbeck story. <laughs> so dumb. We'll get <laughs> okay, to it.
1: well, we'll get there in just a little bit. Courtney arrives at the Sharps house, and since no one answers the door, she just walks right in.
0: Because this is her first day on the job.
1: And she's not a vampire, so she didn't have <laughs> she to can be do invited. A chance, in. that's she true. just walks right in. She's hopeful that they'll be able to pay their bill, but once she investigates the kitchen, she discovers four dead Sharps on the floor. She has a vision, and it's the ski lash demon coming for her. She turns around, and her vision immediately comes true. This.
0: It's not worth was... the joke, right?
1: No, I don't. Well, also we just had this incredibly dark moment. I mean, it's not just yes. the grown man and wife. It's their it's two the little kids.
0: It's the girl that we got to know because she had an she eye, on, had the an eye
1: on the back yeah. of her head. Like we've just we've had a relationship with this girl. There are two dead children on the floor. Then we have this vision and then we run into this joke like you couldn't have given me a little more time, you know. Um it it felt really weird to me. Yes. That felt like a, that a, a darkness that was not acknowledged.
0: No, it certainly wasn't, and that is not how Cordelia's visions have ever worked in the past.
1: Exactly. There's always enough time for them to take action if yep. they have to. So yeah, no, I thought that was that was a little bit weird. It was a little unsettling for me. Well,
0: it's the contrivance. We've got yeah. to get Cordy there by herself we've got to have her be captured. Yes. This is how we chose to do it. It's, it's not great.
1: Yeah, no. I, I don't particularly care for having dead children on the floor in the kitchen, but... Later, Cordy wakes up to the ski skilash demon, giving her a guilt trip about destroying their spawn. Cordy doesn't know what he's talking about, until she sees the eye in the back of his head. Three are responsible, three must pay. They've located Wesley, and now they want to know where Gunn is. At Wesley's apartment, there are noises, and Wesley sees a ski lash demon through the window. He rolls his wheelchair to the closet and uses a broom to get down his shotgun. He rolls out to the front door with his gun, and behind him, the door busts open. It's Angel. He asks Wesley to invite him in, but Wesley's a little indignant, until the ski-lash demon busts through the window, and then he invites Angel right in. Angel hacks one to death, and Wesley shoots the other, and they share a smile of camaraderie before Wesley remembers that he's mad at Angel and looks away.
0: The sequence with Wesley getting his shotgun out of the closet is incredibly stressful and lasts about an hour it does it seems like it takes forever it is because first it's the
1: gun and then it's the shells and then there's and it does it builds up the tension in the moment and i mean i guess that that's an effective thing but the real tension is you know wesley's there and angel comes in and then he's fighting with angel while there's these demons coming in yeah but i like that we build
0: to it and i like Mm -hmm. that we see I mean, it's a Wesley kind of competence, yeah. but it's still, you know, borderline competence. Mm-hmm. He manages to take care of himself, which yeah. I think is good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it is genuinely creepy getting the shot of the Skilos demon outside of the window.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> that that works really quite well. So overall, yeah, it feels like it takes a long time to get there, mm-hmm. but it does work. I could live without the thick, yellow, viscous goo. Yeah. But this is the investigator side of the story. We're, we're making the tone a little lighter, this is why we would benefit, or this is one of the reasons we would benefit from having a sharper delineation between the two halves of the yeah, story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because this is about Angel redeeming himself with the investigators. Right. Angel, Angel
0: just had angry sex with Darla, right. and then visited Lauren in the middle of the night, and now he's shown up at Wesley's. The timeline, by the way, Yeah. fascinating. <laughs> time is it now what what is going on where has angel been well especially what
2: los
1: angeles traffic i mean even in the middle of the night that's i guess
0: technically angry sex with darla saved kate from the yes. suicide attempt oh my hung God. out with lauren for a while stopped by wesley's place <laughs> has an entire day
1: passed that's i guess well no it's still that same night it's I, still that same night it must
0: be i mean logically it, it must be
1: yeah that's pretty yeah. crazy. Long,
0: long nights in Los Angeles,
1: apparently. Yes, absolutely. At Lindsay's, Darla has told her story, and Lindsay is not pleased. He passive-aggressively stomps to the closet, where he pulls out a pair of cowboy boots. In Angel's car, Angel tries to bond over gut wounds with Wesley, but Wesley's not having it. Angel starts to talk about his Darla-inspired epiphany, but his excellent judgment of human social signals leads him to veer into a safer topic, the skilash demons. Wesley brings him up to date on the whole eye on the back of the head thing, saying that once a host has been infected, if it isn't removed in time, a new lash will spawn from the third eye, killing the host. Angel compliments Wesley's work, and Wesley thanks him. Coldly, but hey, you gotta start somewhere.
0: This scene is damn near three minutes long. Yeah. Three minutes is an eternity Mm -hmm. for network television. It's three minutes of driving and dialogue. Mm -hmm. It is three minutes of character work. It's fantastic. It is really good. It's so, again, Tim Mm Menear, when he's at his best, it's confident, it's clean, it's spare. Mm -hmm. He gives space to the dialogue. This is just top-notch work.
1: Yeah, well, and I love Angel trying to reach out to Wesley. He starts with the, hey, we both have gut wounds, and then he Mm -hmm. moves into, did I tell you about how I slept with Darla?
0: It's it's genuinely funny, Mm -hmm. even the... You'll never guess how I got it? Exactly. Darla. <laughs> well, of course it's Darla because everything has been Darla in the last season. <laughs> I like it so, so much. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what we need at this point. Yeah. And totally as a part of the Investigator Skillers Demon story, it works well enough.
1: I think it absolutely yeah. does and this is what I want to see. This is Angel looking to redeem himself with his friends and to kind of find a way back in. I really, really like that. Yeah. And I thought it
0: was nice. It would have been even more effective because when I talk about the clean line of delineation between these two episodes, mm-hmm. I'm not even necessarily thinking about watching them on Netflix or watching them as yeah. a part of your DVD box set. I'm thinking about the original broadcast. Mm-hmm. Have a week between Angel's epiphany mm-hmm. and then The application of that epiphany, the follow-through, the making good. Mm -hmm. I think that would really help the flow of the story.
2: Absolutely. As
0: it is, if you are haunted by the memories of Angel's descent into darkness, if you're still thinking about that, if the performance hasn't quite worked for you, if it hasn't quite communicated to you the depth of the epiphany, the depth of the transformation that Angel's gone through, Mm -hmm. then this must leave you cold. I mean, this must leave you frustrated and infuriated, right?
1: Yeah, and I can certainly understand why some people would feel that way yeah. at this point, you know. Back at the Sharps, the ski lodge psychically know that two of their guys have been taken out, and now more must rise. Cordy's about to be infected with more demon spawn. At Investigator's Inc., Wesley waits while Angel checks the place out. Cordy's not there, and they're worried. Wesley notices a truck passing by repeatedly outside, but when Angel makes a dismissive remark about Cordy, Wesley defends her, shaming Angel. Angel could turn away from the visions. Cordy doesn't have that luxury. Just as Angel's properly taken down, they hear something. They turn off the lights and wait, but it's Gunn. Who isn't too happy to see Angel? Gunn and Wesley bond.
0: Come on, English! You know you're my oh, man. Oh
1: my God, the handshake thing! Oh, so I love, good. I love this relationship. I
0: love too the earlier beat with with Angel being critical of Cordelia. Yes. I love it, it's presented with sufficient subtlety that mm-hmm. you can completely buy. This is just Angel trying to bond. Yes. This is just Angel trying to be funny.
2: hmm And
0: it's misjudged rather than cruel or misinformed. Exactly. It's it's just great. So it's a really All of this character work. Wonderful it's scene. So good. I love it.
1: Wesley informs Gunn that Angel had an epiphany, although that's not the most important thing. He was attacked by skilosh demons, and he's figured out that they're coming for retribution for getting rid of Stephanie Sharp's third eye. Now Cordy's <laughs> missing, and the guys need to find her. They check her message pad and find the Sharp's address written down.
0: That's a great line, too.
1: It's a great, yes. Check her mm-hmm.
0: pad. I was just there. <laughs> there's no need for that. But yeah. this is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. When Tim Menear is at the top of his game, it's it's that clean. It it's that it's confident, good. and I know that mm-hmm. I, I've made that point now like seven times. <laughs> but I really do want to emphasize the contrast between this very capable writing mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that that is less secure, that is less confident.
2: That, that's
1: trying maybe a little bit too hard.
0: Just much much too yeah. hard. <laughs>
1: At the sharps, Cordy comes to on the floor. She's got a third eye in the back of her head, and that is not good. It
0: takes us a little while to get there, though, doesn't it?
1: It Certainly, it does. I like
0: it well enough, and the practical yeah. effect is really striking.
1: Yes, you know, when she's talking to the guy, and she's like, why can't I see you? Yeah. And you know, of course, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah,
0: I think I like the opening of that scene when she's talking to him, and she's clearly addressing yeah. him, even though she's looking directly into the camera. Yeah. That works well enough that I don't <laughs> think you need the additional beat of exposition. Right. Besides which, we know where this is going. Mm. we laid this out three or four times now, right. but it
1: works. It's okay. No, it's good. In Angel's car, Gunn isn't terribly impressed with Angel's epiphany. Before he can get to having his own epiphany, though, a ski lodge demon jumps on the car. They stop, and the demon falls off, but then others step out of the shadows. It's an ambush. Angel grabs an axe, gets out of the car, and tells Gunn and Wesley to get to Cordelia. He'll hold off the demons. Cordy is what matters. Gunn and Wesley drive off as Angel faces down the horde of Skilosh. But just as they're about to attack, they suddenly run out of the way. Angel turns and is hit by Lindsay driving a pickup truck.
0: You know, it's great to see the investigators back together again. It's great to see the team operate. It's great to see us revisiting beats from Happy Anniversary, where we suddenly strike a demon and stop the car and we have to get out to fight. I... this is shenanigans. This is... this is... This is some poor plotting happening here. There wasn't another way of isolating Angel so that he could have them run in with Lindsay. Yeah. Instead we have to effectively fake a demon attack. Mm-hmm. The demons will then run off because these demons, as we know, they really hate to fight.
1: Well, they've served their narrative purpose, so then they're just gonna it's take
0: so off. So cheap. I like yeah. the way that we've been building up mm-hmm. to Lindsay's truck. Yes. Lindsay's truck, brackets featuring Lindsay. <laughs> I like the way that we've been building up to it. Angel was uncomfortable. He thought mm-hmm. that they were being followed. Wesley saw it out of the window. That's all good stuff. The truck itself is great. I'm less impressed with Lindsay's sudden change of wardrobe. I think it would almost be more effective if he was still wearing his, his Wolfram and Hart gear. Yeah. But this is I like the scene. I really dislike how we get there. Okay This is this is shenanigans.
1: No, okay. I am going to grant you shenanigans. <laughs> I will grant you shenanigans. But That's I all say, I've ever wanted. I love the shenanigans. Like, as awful as it is. First of all, okay, Lindsay has been trying to run away from his, his poor past. How is getting out the cowboy boots suddenly, this transition of his character? He changes into this outfit of, you know, the flannel shirt yep. and the t-shirt and the jeans, and suddenly he's this, like, down-home boy. Has he been keeping this old truck in his, I don't know, a condo parking garage. Oh, Nicole? I completely
0: believe that he has, yeah.
1: You know, I mean, I don't know. Well, not just... in the
0: condo parking garage because then other people would see it, yeah. but I'm sure that he had a look up downtown.
1: He had it downtown. Where
0: inside. he was keeping the truck that he drove from, from, I don't know, the wilds of Oklahoma from or Alabama guess, or Tennessee, no, no. wherever it was that he's supposed to be from.
1: Wherever it was, he's got that, that Southern accent, so I feel like it's definitely down in the Southeast sure. somewhere. Um, but, but I adore Christian Kane in this moment. I sure. love him, I think he's wonderful. I love how obsessed he is. The truck, the truck is the coolest. I I am not a car girl. I get get it. I don't care about the convertibles and whatever. I love this truck so much.
0: The car stuff, the truck stuff, excuse me, the Lindsay stuff, that's all fine. It's getting Angel out of the car with the Skelos Demons. And then turning the corner.
1: Well, and also that this being the way that Lindsay comes after Angel, it just, it feels weird. The whole, yeah. the whole changing of wardrobe, the whole moving into an identity, is, I thought it's like about a
0: superhero that. thing. It's weird. Well, I thought about that a lot and I'm not sure that it's entirely motivated, but I think there's enough there. We can speculate that this is like a pretty significant psychological break. Yeah. And the part of the story that's missing is the consequence of the 75-year review. Mm-hmm. We don't know what went down on Wolverine right. Hart. We know that they conducted this ritual to, mm-hmm. to disenchant the Ring of blackmail, but we don't know what else no,
1: happened. Had Lindsay lost his job? Wolverine Hart was coming after him. Everything that he built up was gone. Darla had
0: slept with angels.
2: Can we speculate yeah.
0: that that's exactly what's happened? Can we speculate based on this episode that Lindsay has lost his job? Does it make more sense... If Lindsay has been fired. But it
2: seems
1: to me that when you get fired from Wolfram and Hart, you get killed, right? (laughs)
0: Oh, possibly. Isn't
1: that how most people get fired literally, like with a gun?
0: Well, we don't know how many people. We saw Lee Mercer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I don't think that you quit Wolfram and Hart. I don't think that you get fired and get a severance package.
0: If Lindsay feels that things are going south, then perhaps he's right. Perhaps he's rejecting. Right, but we
1: don't see any element of that. All it is is that Darla has slept with. Yes. Angel, and that suddenly sends him off well, no, into this freakout?
0: Except I, I think there's a thread there that you can follow if you choose to. It, it's really not articulated. I think you have to
1: headcanon but that if you
0: want to, see, to see, well, work, you
1: know?
0: He's clearly obsessed with Darla. He's been in love with Darla for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And if he's now seeing Darla as the reason that his career with Wolfram and Hart has ended, or is, you know... But the whole
1: plan with Darla was always to get her to sleep with Angel so that Angel would go bad. I well, mean, okay, that but
0: was... the, not under these circumstances. Darla has long... the Project Darla has long since yeah, come through. Yeah,
1: fair enough, and she's supposed to be staked on site. As we yeah, know from mm-hmm. the
0: beginning of the episode with uh, Lila's conversation with Lindsay, mm-hmm. they're still wanted, they're still out there. Yeah. This has really hurt his personal standing with the company. Mm-hmm. So if he has sacrificed his career for Darla, only to learn that Darla has had sex with Angel. I could see that.
1: In which case, I like that. I don't think that we get enough clarity on that to motivate this. But I love this. It's
0: not in the episode, but there's enough space that you can speculate.
1: I think that there is space that you can speculate. But yeah, we don't have any clarity on that. And I don't even care because I just I love this truck. I love Lindsay completely losing it. It is really, really fun (laughs) to watch. So I'm enjoying those, those sequences a lot. At the Sharks, Gunn and Wesley watch through the window and see Cordy's third eye. There are a bunch of demons. They don't have much time, and there's no way Wesley and Gunn can take them all on. They need Angel. Which is too bad, because Angel is currently being repeatedly run over by Lindsay's truck.
0: Yeah. It's all fun and games. This is a great investigator plot. Let's not think about the body of the dead kid in the kitchen. Yeah. let's not think about this. No, that. We're,
1: we're not thinking about that right now. <laughs> that is, We're just letting that go. Gunn wants to know why they're waiting for Angel, but then Wesley tries to stand and they're both reminded why they're waiting for Angel. Back in the street, Lindsay stops the truck and gets out a sledgehammer from the bag. He hits Angel repeatedly, insisting that Angel tell him everything he did with Darla. Of course, Angel can't tell him anything without a face, but no judgment, Lindsay, you do you. Finally, Lindsay goes back to his truck to get a steak and angel takes control <laughs> of the fight.
0: I'm sorry, let's recap, he goes back to his truck to get a steak. <laughs> goes back to his truck, turns his back on the vampire yes. to get a steak. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, Lindsay's having a hard night, all Everything right? Everything
0: that happens is 100% his beautiful His beautiful truck
1: fault. has a bunch of vampire
2: all over it. <laughs>
1: so, I mean, this is bad. Angel beats up on Lindsay, apologizing for the fact that Darla will never love him, that Angel could help him more when he had the chance, and that Lindsay made all the wrong choices. As Lindsay reaches for the stake, Angel smashes his fake hand and says it was a good thing he had an epiphany, or he might have smashed the other one.
0: How do Angel's apologies work for you here? Because this is very flippant.
1: This feels like Dark Angel again. This it feels like, like a bit. more Angel would, you know get lindsey off his back you know would definitely steal the truck um but i don't think that he would you know beat up on lindsey the way that he's beating up on lindsey i think well, he i'm would... not sure
0: I, I think he perhaps would i think certainly smashing because well, he's still touch. really
1: angry at Wolfram from sure. their heart but it just seems like right now his energy needs the... to go to saving Cordy, and i feel like that's where i want angels focus To be that Lindsay isn't the big problem at this moment. He just needs to get Lindsay off his back so he can save Cordy.
0: My problem is with the, specifically with the apologizing. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for that. That feels like maybe he's not taking his epiphany and his redemption as seriously as he might. Right. At Mm -hmm. that point, it doesn't matter. Again, this is the Investigateer story, so tonally, we're a little all over the place. Mm -hmm. Also, is it really weird that. Angel suddenly slips into his weird, fake, terrible Irish accent <laughs> when he smashes the hand. We get the reverse shot on Angel. David Boreanaz says, "Could have been the other one. Just be grateful I've had an epiphany." Yeah. In that terrible, terrible really Irish weird
1: accent. Weird Irish, yeah.
0: I don't I, know. It, it might be something just about the rhythm of the line. Yeah. That it just sounds like that. It's the strangest thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know if he was shooting any of those um flashback scenes at this time, imagine. I kind of don't think so, we've been Thankfully, done with that for a while. Thankfully yes.
0: more flashbacks to, to <laughs> Liam, yes.
1: At the sharps Gunn and Wesley appear and Cordy is momentarily relieved until she realizes that they are accompanied by losh demons who have captured them. The losh demons go on their more must rise kick and start for Gunn and Wesley. Then Angel smashes through the house with Lindsay's truck, taking out one of the skilash. The other demons converge on the truck, and Angel goes to town on them with Lindsay's sledgehammer. Gunn and Wesley break free from the ties around their wrists, and Wesley conducts the deoculation <laughs> ritual on Cordelia.
0: Oh, oh yes, he does. Yeah, he sure does solve that problem by pouring powder into her eye. Well, into her
2: third eye. Into,
0: I'm sorry, is it an eye? It's a. Right and, and and the powder is that powder still? All right. Does everybody know about your eye thing? Have we discussed I that think on this we discussed podcast?
1: It a few <laughs> uh,
0: maybe that was the scotus that. I don't
1: know, <laughs> Alistair. If I am taking, I wear contact lenses, and if at night I'm taking out my contact lenses and I forget to shut the bathroom door, he's
0: so yes. horrified. <laughs> You're right. It is the this weird, is weird and unusual problem I have, <laughs> where the insertion <laughs> of things into people's eyes is problematic for me. Okay.
1: You have a very specific eye
0: thing. This is, is the <laughs> worst thing I have ever seen. It is a terrible sequence. I would live with a third eye. What's that you say? A demon is going to emerge from my skull three days hence? That's fine. Three days is all just I need to, put to make good. In my eye. I, I can I can, you know, clear up my outstanding business in three days, that's fine. Record a final episode of each of our podcasts, just just go that, that powder in my eye? I'm fine. Thanks. You are
1: so lucky you have perfect vision. I just have to say.
0: <laughs> I don't, but I will wear glasses before <laughs> I wear contact glasses, let me you. tell you.
1: With the ski lash dispatched, Angel rushes to Cordy's side. He asks if Cordy's okay, and she says no. He really hurt her feelings. Wes and Gunn help her away as Angel walks on. The next day, a beat up Lindsay finds his car battered on the street with a note of thanks on the windshield.
0: <laughs> a note of thanks written in Comic Sans, exactly. which is great.
1: No, that's, that's not acceptable. I, I feel Angel about spent, Comic Sans the way that you do about powder in the eye. There's just no excuse for that. A
0: lot of the '60s and '70s lettering Marvel comics, <laughs> so he has that perfect, perfect handwriting.
1: Yes, he certainly does. Lindsay goes into his apartment to find Darla's things gone. It is sad country music song. Lindsay. Okay.
0: You start to feel a little sorry for the guy, right?
1: No, I, I like Lindsay. I'm sorry, the second he got in that truck, I was like, yes!
0: He gets beaten up. His prosthetic hand gets smashed. Yes. Angel steals his truck and crashes it through a house. <laughs> Not to mention a number of demons. He finally trudges he his way home. Yeah. You, you never get that out. That, that won't buff out. He comes home to find that Darla's gone, yeah. and she's taken her stuff. It's
1: it is, it is sad country it's a music song Lindsay. Day to be it looks, it's very, very bad. In the courtyard at the Hyperion, Kate and Angel drink and bond. She's embarrassed about her suicide attempt. She just felt like nothing she does means anything. Angel says it doesn't, and he's happy. He had a realization. If nothing we do matters, if it doesn't make a difference, if there's no big win on the scoreboard, then the only thing that matters is what we do. He understands that now and he wants to help. Kate is grateful that Angel saved her, and she believes that maybe there are greater forces at work. When Angel asks why, she says simply, because I never invited you in. That's the moment that I love. That's the moment where I'm like, yeah, that's powerful.
0: This is... It's such a a quiet,
1: lovely, and powerful moment.
0: perhaps a little less impactful for those of us who have been following along with Dustin, for those of us who have been watching the show so carefully, because it really is the same existentialist argument that he comes to at the end of A Man's. Yes. But that's okay. No. Yeah. It's fine that he kind of circles back Sometimes around to it again. Sometimes it takes
1: two or three times and to really is, kind of absorb an idea. Sure.
0: It is articulated more completely uh-huh. here than uh-huh. it ever was in *Immense*, And that's okay, because Angel is a much more existentialist show yes. than Buffy ever Absolutely. Uh-huh.
2: was. Absolutely. So
0: this this just really works for me all the stuff with Cordelia too mhm it really works.
2: No,
1: I, I love it. Are you okay? No, my feelings are really hurt. Yeah. I, I like that moment that even as we've gone through this whole high adrenaline fight, she is still focused yeah. on her
0: personal and relationship again, with This him. is another moment mm-hmm. that could have come off as, as just a really yeah. flat joke. Mm-hmm. But Charisma Carpenter brings such passion. And
1: she turns to Gunn and Wesley she who does. care for her and are emotionally there for her. It's a really, really nice moment. If
0: you've never been a fan of The Investigators. Yeah. This is the episode that will change your mind.
1: Right. If you don't love them now, then I can't, do, <laughs> I can't work with you. I don't know how to work with that. At Investigator's Inc., Angel comes through the door apologizing. Wesley tells him that they're not ready to come back to work for him, but Angel says that's okay, and asks if he can come work for them. Everybody's a little wary, but then Cordy gets hit by a vision. Angel catches her, and the gang is back in business.
0: It's great. And there it's go. perfect. It's, it's what you need mm-hmm. at the end. I'm not a big one necessarily for conspicuous acts of contrition? Yeah. Certainly not, you know, contrition that's rooted in false modesty in fiction. But this this feels completely authentic to me. Mm-hmm. I absolutely buy that Angel would would want to work for the investigators yeah. would want to follow their lead just so that he can help. Yeah. It's it's a great piece of long-form structural work. It establishes a new status quo that's mm-hmm. going to work for the show, but it also speaks very eloquently to Angel's change of heart and his, yeah. his redemption. I mean, that's because what we're talking about. it's about
1: the mission. Because yeah. it's, it's not about who's in charge or, or whose name exactly. is on the thing. It's about what they're doing, what they're and supposed this
0: to be doing. And this really does drag us all the way back to the opening of the season with judgment. Yeah. Where we're already seeing Angel as the dominant force, as mm-hmm. the 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 driving vision behind what was at the time, Angel Investigations? Exactly. I like that a great deal.
1: No, I like it a lot. I love I love so much in these two episodes. There's so much strength in these two episodes. And it really does feel like we're we're kind of getting a hold on I guess what it feels like to me is that we're we're sort of resetting. We are restating, you know, oh. the
0: mission. We as emphatically yes. as we ever have in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like and Angel, end. in any TV show.
1: Exactly, it feels like the end of a season. Like we finished yeah. up what we're doing, we've restated what we are doing, why we are doing it. We've had the game changer inserted. Now Angel is on the bottom of the rung, and we're moving forward with all of them working together. So there's so much about these two episodes that I really, right. really, really like. There are some rough spots. You know, well, it's
0: more—it's more than a few rough spots. I think there's a fair amount of structural work within these episodes that's just outright bad. These Mm -hmm. are not the strongest choices that you could possibly have made. I really like where we end up. Mm -hmm. And I like the bulk of the storytelling. Yeah. But there are a lot of problems. We have to acknowledge the fake-out. We have Mm -hmm. to acknowledge the fake-out twist away from the 75-year review into Mm -hmm. Angel's personal story of despair. Mm -hmm. We have to acknowledge the fake-out with the surprise and innocence loss of Angel's soul. Yes. We have to acknowledge the fact... Which is
1: just shameless.
0: The show doesn't give us a final beat with Darla, Mm -hmm. which (laughs) is incomprehensible when you look back at the shape of the entire season. Right. Darla has been... The second build character Mm -hmm. in this story so far. And we finally just abandon her. Mm -hmm. And no spoilers. If you know anything at all about Angel, you know that Darla will return eventually. But right now.
1: But this story with Darla, this whole thing, that's it. She's just shuffled off. And it is, yeah, it's really anecdotal.
0: She's actually wildly. No pun intended. She's she's incidental to most of this two part story.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Which is. A problem though when you acknowledge that the Darla stuff wasn't the strongest stuff that Angel's ever done maybe that makes sense but I think there's a difference between realizing that the Darla storyline isn't working and thinking that Darla isn't working Mm -hmm. Darla has worked for me at least more often than not yeah I think she's generally been rather good and I think that Julie Benz is terrific in that role so switching out Darla driving her into despair and then switching our focus to Lindsay yeah Feels a little bit. There's something there that really bothers me. There's something there that that Lindsay's hurt feelings are more important than Darla's, you know, genuine sense of betrayal. Mm-hmm. What Darla has gone through is so much harder, and so much more important than what Lindsay has gone through. But we're gonna focus on Lindsay we're it, because um... he's the guy. Is that what we're doing? Because rivalry and competition over women is more important than actual relationships and emotional connection?
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's because he's the guy so much as because they've acknowledged that the Darla, they're just basically chewing off a limb to get rid of Darla. So I think yeah which that, I
0: think is a mistake
1: yeah I think that it's there's a lot of stuff in here that is structurally yeah there's a lot of mess in here there are a lot of things that are that are a problem um, overall there's tons of stuff that I love despite yes. the fact that maybe it isn't the best of those no. choices but they Structural don't problems. things. Up until Total we drop the 75 year review, like all of that stuff is. It, it, I We've got this whole 75 year review. We go down into this elevator that all feels like a big flip off. It's like, hey, we're building up this whole thing, but we're not actually going to pay it off. Yeah. And then we start paying stuff off. We've got Angel on this path of redemption, is trying yeah. to get back in with the investigators. I love all of
0: that. I will say that. A lot of the 75-year review stuff is actually very good. I love the scene level It Laura, I love the scene with paid there. off. I
1: well, would have loved but it. But even as
0: it is, mm-hmm. those scenes in and of themselves yeah, the
1: scene level really work really
2: that
0: I, I'm almost certain I would put money on it. Yes, that was I think supposed you're right. to be the climax of mm-hmm. the season, and we just cut chunks. We yes. just we just control X, control B'd a yeah. bunch of that stuff <laughs> yep. into this script, and it doesn't entirely work. It mm-hmm. is too complicated. We don't have a handle on Darla's motivations. Mm-hmm. I don't know what she's doing. In yeah. this episode, in either part of this episode. That's a shame because she has been just so important. But we managed to do everything that's important. Mm-hmm. We managed to do everything that we showed up to do. Mm-hmm. We drive Angel to the brink of despair. We actually have him cross that line. And then we bring him back. Yeah. And that's not nothing. That is an incredibly difficult thing to do. We make Kate work. Mm-hmm. She's actually For the first
2: time. Yeah.
0: She's on the brink of being a complete character yeah. at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. All of the investigative stuff is great. Yeah. All of that character work is top-notch. All the relationship stuff
2: mm-hmm. is
0: as strong as we have seen from Angel to date. There are some tonal problems in the investigative storyline. Why did we need to kill the sharps? Let's yeah. not kill the sharps. Why do we need why to
1: get children on the floor that why are in is that, that th- kitchen the whole time? the
0: yeah. last beat of that story... Mrs. Sharp, or better yet, Mr. Sharp, handing Cordelia a check. Yes. Why weren't they just imprisoned alongside the Why couldn't they just be the stuck in the
1: basement? Details. Exactly. If
0: that, Plus, to me, need, is a bad decision.
1: If we need all of these people to rise, we need all of these scheme yeah. lash to rise, they should be next on the list. You know, they should be sitting in the kitchen, tied up. There's just
0: no reason for them to be dead, and that Mm -hmm. casts a shadow, honestly, over.
1: It gives this very, very dark tone, and it's an unacknowledged darkness, which is really uncomfortable.
0: (laughs) It is. That's the kind of thing that I think we've done a lot more in Mm -hmm. Angel, in Buffy. We're generally very careful because the rules of Buffy's universe are a little more conservative. Mm -hmm. Right. We Mm -hmm. generally care more about this kind of consequence, Mm -hmm. And and we steer away from exactly this kind of unintended consequence. Angel's playing a little fast and loose. Mm -hmm. So if you split these episodes into two discrete stories, if you sort out some of the structural stuff, just let some of the season climax go, Mm -hmm. It was never going to happen, it was not meant to be, let's put a little more pressure on Darla, let's clean up some of the tonal stuff throughout, Mm -hmm. you're left with really the best Angel story that we've had to date. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in its present shape, it's not that. It's very, very good but I don't think it achieves quite what it sets out to achieve.
1: Well, so that leaves one last question. Where does it go on the big list?
0: I think we're actually very close here.
1: I think we are, too. I
0: don't think we have a major disagreement.
1: I enjoyed these episodes a lot more than you did, but I think that when we come down to our assessment of it, it kind of lands in the well, same
0: way. A lot of what I've said about Angel's character, I think, is evident in this episode. Mm. A lot of what I love about Angel as a character as a show, as an underlying philosophy, Mm -hmm. is present in this episode, is articulated in this episode, better than it's ever been. But I kind of feel that I've said that stuff before. Why we fight is such an important message. And
1: I love that whole yeah. idea about why we fight. If nothing we do matters, then the only thing that matters is what we do. I love that as an underlying philosophy. But you're right, you know, we've kind of banged that gong a couple of times.
0: We have a know? little bit, but never this well. Right. Never this carefully. We we've
1: laid it down now. This is what is happening in this show. And yeah. I really
2: like that.
0: I absolutely adore it. So yes, I have my problems with this episode. <laughs> Yes, that opening for me really does spoil almost the first half of the mm-hmm. first episode. But what it does ultimately is so good that I can't put this anywhere on the list outside of the top five.
1: Yeah, it's an absolute it top five.
0: It has me. potential mm-hmm. to be number one. If this was <laughs> cleaned up, Yeah. then I think it would be the best episode of Angel that we've I seen today. So, and would probably be at the top of the list for quite some time. Mm-hmm. As it is, it is a top five episode for me, but only just... I'm going to put it in right underneath Judgment. I would put it in at number five on the list. I think that it actually pairs rather beautifully with Judgment from the beginning yeah, of the season. Yeah, I
1: think so too, yeah. I think it
0: addresses a lot of the same issues. Judgment and the Reprise Epiphany two-parter do kind of of, of bracket this particular mm-hmm. arc. That's effectively the beginning of the Darla story and the end of the Darla mm-hmm. story. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think that Judgment just has, has more focus
1: Absolutely.
0: But for me, we're a long way from from even mediocre angel. Yeah. We're we're firmly on the side of good here.
1: There's good stuff happening here. And I think that we're kind of setting up the tone for where we're gonna take Angel in the future and the kinds mm. of stories that we're gonna tell. Originally I had it above judgment at number four, but I, I honestly that. I honestly think you're right though. I think that
0: I think, it <laughs> It's interesting there's a very narrow band there. Yeah. It's definitely not as good as I Will Remember You, which is at number yeah. three. It's definitely better than Blind Date, which is at number five. Right. So there are really two places. So you're kinda like go.
1: shifting it in that space. But I think that you're right. I think that judgment had more focus it knew what it was doing it did that thing and it did it really well i really like the kinds of things that we're seeing in this episode but there's a lot of, of kind of mess mm-hmm. around it and there are things that are just where we're kind of missing the mark a little bit
0: if we were allowed to consider the impact of this episode mm-hmm. i could easily bump it up a couple of spots almost. yeah i think that This isn't just the end of the Darla storyline. It is also a statement of intent. It is also a new status quo. This is going to carry us through to the end of the season. And there's a lot of ground between here and there, Mm -hmm. thanks to the revised season arc. I'm really looking forward to what comes next. And what comes next is good, is exciting, is engaging, because of this episode.
1: Yeah, I think that what this episode does is it kind of, it resets everything It says, okay, here... From here on out, we're doing this thing. And I really, really like that.
0: I think you could watch a condensed, collapsed season two where you watch, let's say, Judgment. Yes. Where you watch, let's say, Darla, Mm -hmm. maybe a dear boy Mm -hmm. thrown in there. Yeah. And then you watch Reprise and Epiphany. And you get everything from the second season. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing right there. That's a much more powerful story than the meandering 15-episode arc Mm -hmm. that carried us this far. So it's going to be really interesting when we revisit these topics at the end of the season, when we compile our essentials list for Angel yeah, Season 2. That is going to be that's going to be a really interesting because discussion. Because I actually do like the Darla arc. Mm-hmm. I think there is a great value there, but yeah. In part, it's compromised because we just don't have enough material to fill the whole story. It, it's on such a slow burn. And here we see what Tim Minear can do when he lets off the break, when we yes. actually really start propelling our story forward. So it's not the most successful Angel episode, but it is one of my favorites.
1: And I think we're also kind of moving out of our, I don't know, our sludge zone, I guess. Oh, we super
0: are. No, We've we, had, we had a real rough are. go
1: of it in the last uh, last few weeks here. So
0: I like the arc that mm-hmm. closes out the season. A lot of people don't, but yeah. I like it. I find it to be very... Uh, very rich, mm-hmm. and it is a marked change in direction. It is,
2: absolutely. There are amazing.
0: two episodes between here and there, and I like both of them. I like both of them in very different ways, mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say. Next week, we are going to return to Sunnydale. We're going to discuss The Body and Forever from season five mm-hmm. of Buffy, but the following week, we're picking up Angel again with Disharmony. Is it fair to say that Disharmony is one of your favorite episodes of Angel? in its entire run.
1: You know, what? it's been a really long time since I've seen it, so I'm going to hold that judgment back. <laughs> it has back.
0: all the hallmarks of one of your favorite but episodes. But it
1: does, it does have all of those hallmarks, just Harmony being in this world. I absolutely love Harmony yeah. Is one of my favorite That's not favorite a spoiler characters. that Harmony is
0: going to be in that episode. The in, episode, in is, the episode called Harmony. is Harmony.
2: Yeah, I think
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to discussing that. I'm looking forward to discussing the rest of the season. And I think you're right. I think that we have we have emerged from the the slough of despair here. We really have, as much as Angel has, Mm -hmm. we've turned the corner and, and we're moving onward to better and to brighter things this has been a really fun discussion
2: yeah no i've
1: had a really good time so that's it for today as we said we'll be back on monday with our thoughts on episode 16 and 17 of season five of buffy the body and forever and
0: because of that double buffy episode next week we won't do a thursday angel show next week but we will be back on august 15th with episode 17 of season two of angel disharmony in which an old friend who shall go unnamed shows up (laughs) in los angeles that will be our only episode of dusted that week but the following week We'll be back on our regular Monday-Thursday schedule.
1: Yes, everything will be all back to normal. For people who like things that are predictable, (laughs) you're going to be very happy after the week of August 15th. Don't forget, you can join some of the funniest, smartest, and most delightful people on the internet on our forums at forum.storywonk.com. You
0: can get in touch with us directly to give us your feedback via email at podcast.storywonk.com or by leaving a voicemail at 252-505-WONK. That's 252-505-9665. And
1: remember that this podcast and everything that we do here at Storywalk is brought to you free and ad-free by our generous patrons. To join this amazing group and gain access to exclusive Storywalk content, go to patreon.com slash and pledge us a dollar a month or whatever you can afford. Until next time, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich.
0: I'm Alastair Stevens. And this is Dustin.